I'm Francis Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. I'm Greg Oliar. Four years ago, I stopped writing novels to report on the crimes of Donald Trump and his associates. In 2018, I wrote a best-selling book about it, Dirty Rubles. In 2019, I launched Prevail, a bi-weekly column about Trump and Putin, spies and mobsters, and so many traitors! Trump may be gone, but the damage he wrought will take years to fully understand. Join me and a revolving crew of contributors and guests as we try to make sense of it all. This is Prevail. Thanks to Third Love for supporting Mueller, she wrote. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com ag to find yours today. And thanks to Rothy's for supporting Mueller, she wrote. Have you heard about this company making stylish shoes out of recycled plastic water bottles? Oh, and they're insanely comfortable and machine washable. Go get yourself a pair today with free shipping at rothys.com, promo code AG. My name is Renato Mariotti. I'm the host of the On Topic podcast, and you're listening to Muller She Wrote. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller She Wrote. I'm your host, A.G., and with me, as always, are Jaleesa Johnson. Hello. And Jordan Coburn. Hello. We have a great show for you today, including an interview with CNN National Security Analyst. She was also a senior advisor to Obama's National Security Advisory Council. Uh, Sam Vinograd is her name, and this is her first time appearing on Muller She Wrote, so we're really excited to have her. Um, We'll be chatting about election security and leadership shakeups at the Office of National Intelligence and the Department of Homeland Security, so and the FBI as well. So how was your week, guys? Pretty good. Yeah, yeah, good as well. How was that Hollywood show? Oh, it was amazing. Oh, yes. oh my God. Thank you for reminding me how good my week was. So <laughs> first of all, um, Rebecca, she is the producer of the show, and she works for the L.A. city government, and she is just amazing. She let me stay at her place. It's where you all would have stayed. She, was, she missed you. Um, you never met her, but she missed you. And uh, yeah, she's really sweet. And then we got these nice little big dick energy hats from another fan of the show <laughs> whose name I forgot because I was drunk when it happened. But um, the show itself was amazing. They raised money for the North Carolina district uh, uh, special election that's happening, I think, this week or next yeah. week. Yeah. So they raised, I think, 
$31,000. Awesome. Hopefully Sweet. I'm not misquoting, but yeah, a lot of money. And it was incredible. Good. How was Dana Gould? He was dressed as an ape. Oh my <laughs> But it was gosh. funny. It was funny. I should have yeah. led with that. Very like, funny. And like he was hosting? Do. He was hosting. Yeah. It was like a Planet of the Apes style costume, which was so well done because his mouth moved with it and everything. Yeah. And I made a joke about us being the only brown people there and that <laughs> killed the room. So thank you to Gaines for that. Yeah, set me up for success. That's <laughs> fucking good. He sets him up. You knocked him down. Hell yeah. It was a really white audience. It was, but you know, the best kind of white people really. Just like all around like They happen to be and, white. Yeah. They just happen to be white. <laughs> best kind of people that happen to be white. Um, they really just were so energetic. Like, you know, when you get a great crowd that is there for the comedy, but also the cause, mm-hmm. and just the energy was so good. That's yeah. pretty much like every live show that we do, exactly. right? Exactly. It felt like a live militia road show. That's just, so great. Yeah, the right audience. Yeah. For it, sure. When we have that, and, you know, we're coming to San Francisco, August 30th, mm-hmm. and uh, those shows are just, the energy is so great. The crowd is so great. You get the like-minded people in the room, and it's just, there's some sort of, like, the, the whole magical. is greater than the sum of its parts. It's mm-hmm. just so much fun, and, and we hope that you guys come out. Oh, yeah. Um, we have a uh, great surprise. I believe Steph Miller is going to be joining us. Oh, yay. In the San homie. Francisco, yeah. our homie. Yeah. And um, this is not oh, actually, she's so funny. we have an unconfirmed guest that I'm not actually going to tell you about yet, but it's super secret and amazing, and uh, you will freak the fuck out. So, get <laughs> tickets. Um, while you can because there's not too many left and we're also going to be having a second VIP meet and greet because the first one the one that is before the show the cocktail meet and greet before the show sold out in like an hour Mm -hmm. so we're having a second one um, uh, I believe on Thursday evening so check that out and we're teaming up with beta brand for that so it's going to be rad that's awesome yeah they're like the ceo party a pants party okay can we have a no no pants i was gonna say is that appropriate (laughs) but have a no pants party at a pants manufacturer no one thinks it's harassment (laughs) we should definitely have a no pants party (laughs) (laughs) we'll just wear beta brand coats yeah i like to assume that rachel maddow wears no pants underneath the desk you know like just you know i've seen her though she does she wears like and they're not like suiting pants either they're like and she wears uh chucks that's cute. Yeah, because I remember when, I think it was, I can't remember who did a filibuster on the floor for like hours, but she was like, I can't imagine in four inch heels standing. And she took her Chuck Taylor and she taped a ruler to it, like duct taped a four inch ruler to it. And she was like this, she was standing on this the whole time because <laughs> she's trying to relate it in her brain, uh, which I totally understand. I never wear heels either. We'll talk about Rothy's later. But uh, oh, yeah, she, she, she wears her chucks, and it's the most adorable thing. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so anyway, guys, it is time for my new favorite segment, Corrections. It's a mistake. It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. Oh, I made a mistake. All right, so this week during a Daily Beans episode, we wondered if there was a lobby for video games. And there is. It's called mm. the Entertainment Software Association, ESA or E3 or something like that. Um, they might see this new fight um, as a welcome distraction from the fact that they recently accidentally doxed over 2,000 journalists, YouTubers, and streamers when they accidentally made their spreadsheet public on their Expo website. Oh, so, no. Oops. Uh, <laughs> but that is a lobby for the video gaming industry. Interesting. I guess, yeah. I always thought ESA stood for Esports Association. That might be that. Uh, this might be E3 or I something I have like no that. idea what I'm talking about, so yeah, no. <laughs> I, I am very willing to admit that it's not that. Me neither. The last video game I beat was Zelda. <laughs> NES. <laughs> so that's me. Um, 
I'll play some Pong, you know, maybe a little Candy Crush. But uh, besides <laughs> that, like, I did uh, redo Wolfenstein 3D f- from the 80s when it came out on my phone. I did mm. play that because I like to shoot Nazis. Um, nice. For clarification uh, on our discussion of whether AIDS can be cured, AIDS, of co- as we know, is caused by the advancement of HIV. And it's theoretically possible to cure AIDS if the HIV virus can be eradicated or dip down to levels that are not detectable in blood tests before it overwhelms the human immune system. So that's sort of the idea of okay. curing AIDS. So mm-hmm. there's that. All right. Catching it early, basically. Exactly. Uh, also in a Daily Beans episode, when we generalized that most Americans don't own stock, I did not take into account the f- people's 401ks, their 529 education accounts, or IRAs, Roth IRAs, which include mutual funds, no-load mutual funds, and securities, which are comprised of diversified stock portfolios, which would be negatively impacted by Trump's trade war on China. So it did hit every American, at least those that have those kind of savings accounts mm-hmm. and and uh, through work, whether you got a 401k or whether you're saving for your kid's education with a 529, those people were negatively impacted as well. So mm-hmm. I think what we were trying to say is, ah, rich people took a hit too. It's not just rich people yeah. that, that rely on stocks in, in these um, situations. So. Yeah, totally. I think I heard an economist or financial advisor or something on NRA, NRA NPR <laughs> say, oh, God. Watching NRA TV, Jordan. <laughs> the biggest difference in two organizations yeah. you can possibly have. NPR's like, damn it, it happened again. Yeah. But <laughs> NPR, pew pew. So. Yeah. <laughs> God. They were, uh, they were, can you, thank Spot God they bullets. never got to the point where they had like an FM station. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad <laughs> they never sold so out. Yeah. yeah. But they never sold out. <laughs> oh, NPR? Exactly. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. you're saying NRA. Yeah, them yeah like they had their own. So, yeah. Um, but this guy was saying, they were talking about if it's wise to pick a retirement plan that relies on the stock market in any way, basically right now, since it is affecting those so much, it's been so volatile. Yeah. And he was saying in the long term, it's still probably a good idea, but for these couple of years, you might see your ROI. If you were looking at what it would be not looking too hot. Yes. ROI return on investment. Yes. So yes, we, we, we failed to include all of those. Just didn't think about it. So those are there. Uh, Also in a daily bean, let's see. Oh, the line item veto, when I was wondering mm-hmm. whatever happened to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was declared unconstitutional by SCOTUS on the grounds that it violates the presentment clause by effectively allowing the president to legislate. Oh, I guess, yeah. Very good point. Sometimes we only see how something would benefit our party without realizing how it could bite us in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. It did seem like a nice fix to this problem we have with the gridlock, but, you know, moving on to the next solution, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and, and th- you know, that checks and balances thing, if you allow the president to legislate and the legislature to legislate, then you're violating, uh, I would say, the separation of powers Clause. You know totally. what should be um, not allowed? They call it the presentment clause. Yeah, they shouldn't allow you to put two bills together then, because that'll solve that problem too, right? They do though. They do it all mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. So it's just like get rid of both of those things, and then we shouldn't have the problem. Yeah, that's interesting. That vetoing the legislation entirely is not considered legislating. <laughs> yeah. 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 Partial <laughs> vetoes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> only line. <clears throat> only line item vetoes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but but then you know he would d- that he or she would be deciding which part of the legislation would go through, mm-hmm. uh, and so that does sort of step on the toes of the powers of Congress. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. And I wasn't saying the presentment clause is the the balance of powers, mm-hmm. uh, but that, you know, it's, I, what I was saying is it's the, it's the presentment clause that prevents that from happening. Mm. Uh, so let's see. Guys, those are corrections. Um, if you have any for us, uh, either from Mueller She Wrote, The Daily Beans, or the Thursday special coverage of the redacted Mueller report, just head to MuellerSheWrote.com, click contact, and select corrections. We'll get it right eventually. <laughs> Uh, We have a lot of news to get to this week, so let's jump in with just the facts. 
Uh, so as I'm sure you've heard this weekend, Florida multimillionaire accused of operating a sex trafficking ring, Jeffrey Epstein, was found dead in his jail cell from an apparent suicide. This happened the night after a huge tranche of documents in his case were made public that linked him to Mar-a-Lago, Bill Clinton, Prince Andrew, former Democratic governor of New Mexico, Bill Richardson, another Democratic senator, and several other high-profile figures. Among these files released was a 76-page ruling in the case of Jeffrey versus Maxwell. Ghislaine Maxwell is the head, I guess, madam of, mm-hmm. of the of the operation, and Jufri is Virginia Jufri, the mm-hmm. woman uh, who was, I believe, 14 at the time and was passed around amongst all these wealthy people, including Epstein. And Dershowitz, right? She yeah. She, uh, the, in, in, the, in the document, it says Jufri also alleged she was forced to have sex with Alan Dershowitz, model scout Jean-Luc Brunel, and many other powerful men, including American politicians, business executives, foreign presidents, a well-known prime minister. Um, Epstein's apparent death by suicide is now under investigation by the FBI and the inspector general after he was apparently removed from suicide watch two weeks ago after an apparent attempt a couple you know they attempted a couple weeks ago seems like they put him on suicide watch for 72 hours which is the norm Uh, he was removed from suicide watch and the prison has multiple cameras will hopefully show clearly what happened I saw a lot of unsubstantiated reporting on Twitter from people with blue check marks saying that the cameras had malfunctioned. I have not been mm. able to co- corroborate that claim. Uh, and a lot of it was coming from uh, the right, um, right-wing news sources. So I, I, I don't know if that's the case or not. Uh, and just this morning, Sunday morning from the New York Times, um, late breaking news, before his apparent suicide, Epstein was left alone and not closely monitored. He was supposed to have been checked by guards every 30 minutes, but that procedure was not followed the night before he was found. Uh, this is according to law enforcement, a law enforcement official with knowledge of Epstein's detention. And additionally, his cellmate, um, Tartaglione, Nicky, Nick, Nicholas Tartaglione. Uh, he had been transferred out of Epstein's cell, allowing Epstein to be housed alone in his cell just two weeks after he'd been taken off suicide watch, and that decision violates procedure. Mm. Um, officials have cautioned that their initial finding about his detention was preliminary and could change. Uh, apparently, after Epstein was removed from suicide watch, the jail informed the Department of Justice that Epstein would have a cellmate and a guard would look into his cell every 30 minutes, and neither of those things happened. Mm. So wow. that's what's going on with that. Um, there's a lot of f- conspiracy theories out there flying that uh, Clinton ordered the hit, Trump ordered the hit, Barr ordered the hit. Um, Barr seemed to be, according to reports, genuinely surprised and pissed when he found out that Epstein had, had killed himself because, according to these law enforcement officials that, that, with, that reported to the New York Times, they did call the Department of Justice and say he would be watched every 30 minutes and that he would have his cellmate again. And I guess having a cellmate helps um, is, is, is a preventive measure. Yeah. Um, for for death by suicide so uh, none of that uh, happened and now of course I think that's going to be one of the main focuses of the Office of Inspector General investigation and the Department of Justice investigation but I think the most important part and I tweeted this this morning is that whether you think whatever your theory is about what happened um, I personally my beans are on negligence a blind eye somebody maybe either willfully negligently or potentially was paid unknowingly (laughs) negligently allowed this to happen uh either case huge scandal Mm -hmm. um but whether or not you think this was a hit or it was an inside job or whether you think he really just killed himself because he's narcissistic that way um that or whether he died by suicide i should say the the main point here is that nobody has any faith in the Justice Department. I, it, the, you know, when, when they say the Department of Justice is, is investigating, 
I don't care. I'm mm-hmm. interested in the IG's investigation with Horowitz and mm-hmm. what that finds out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this news was absolutely insane to wake up to. I didn't even believe it when I read the headline. I yeah, saw it same. as a notification. It was like, now that Epstein is dead, blah, blah, blah. I was like, what? Yeah. It's freaking crazy. This is such a huge time in history right now. And exactly. something I've also learned is I didn't realize so many people were even in the know, really, about his case exactly. Aside from just general headlines, the reaction that it got from everybody, like comics, you know, people that typically don't really engage in politics and it was a fringe story for a while until it came into the mainstream and just the fact that everybody so quickly has an opinion on it, it it was kind of in a weird way it gave me hope that people were invested, you know, enough to understand the the severity of how crazy this is. It 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 has the the public knowledge I wish the Mueller report had. Right. You know? Yeah, um, exactly. Like if you walk up I was in a karaoke bar and Roger Stone is up on the screen talking to Cuomo or whatever on CNN. Someone's like, who the fuck is that weird looking dude? And I'm yeah. like, you don't know who the Roger Stone hens? You don't know yeah. that guy? Mm-hmm. Stone? No. Uh, Florida? 2000? Nothing? Okay. <laughs> like I was blown away. But Epstein, if Epstein's photo pops up on CNN, everybody, I think, instantly knows who that is and what's going on. I'm actually surprised that people even know Epstein. That gives me hope, too. I wouldn't have guessed that myself. Um, yeah, definitely Roger Stone seems more noteworthy. <laughs> yeah. And that they understand, even though there's there's like a lot of comics, especially sort of peddling these conspiracy theories. And I think even them doing that is indicative of them understanding how potential people could be compromised by what happened at his estate and through all of his work doing child sex trafficking. So it's it's so crazy and insane. I do agree with you, though. I, I think it's most likely that he was either paying people off to let him kill himself or he actually just killed himself because for someone to have put a hit on him last one month was when that was that when the last like he was found with marks on his neck was that a little over two month? weeks ago okay so when that when that <laughs> happened assuming because people thought that that was a potential hit on him as well if that was you would have think <laughs> yeah you would have think he would have come out something would have come out where he's like hey someone tried to kill me <laughs> but that didn't come out you're right so i find it hard to believe just because of that that someone else would have done this yeah unless he's him. being somehow like silenced but that's pretty i guess tinfoil yeah that is a huge conspiracy theory that i'm not saying i don't see the potential motive for but But just less likely yeah i personally think the most nefarious thing that could have happened here would have been without anybody knowing somebody paying off the guards to leave him alone exactly knowing that he would probably commit suicide since he attempted it already that would probably be the most nefarious thing that would have that could have happened yeah i agree um I, I, I don't want to take away from anyone's speculation. That's yeah. what we do. We're humans. We speculate. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just where I, my beans are, honestly. Same. Yeah, same. It's, again, not that I don't think that it could be possible. I don't f- put much past, you know, because of that distrust in the Justice Department. Um, but just with the other facts. Yeah, I mean, he had a seems... safe full of dirt on some of the most rich, ri- like the richest and most powerful people in the world. Yeah. Um. But it it it's and it's very odd to me that he seems to be the guy who in in the in the whole world who would want to die by suicide the most of any yep. other person in the world. So you would think he would have been placed in that suicide room with the suicide jacket where you can't t- have anything <clears throat> and it's just a padded. Like you would think that. Yes. 
uh, but he wasn't. And so either negligent, it's either gross negligence or willful negligence. And I, I honestly don't know which. I'm going to wait for the IG report. I know they're going to look at the bank accounts of the guards. They're going to look at all sorts of things. I mean, I do still sort of trust the FBI, but because it's part of the Department of Justice, my my faith in that in that organization is pretty much totally shot. Yeah. Or how the findings would be released to the public. Right. Yeah. But Office of Inspector General report is a, a report that's released to the public. However, we've seen in the past these reports get buried. For example, the FBI New York Field Office, Office of the Inspector General report from the Department of Justice. We've never seen that. And it was due six, eight months ago. Yeah. Or like when they uh, inspected the detention camps and when they found out people were releasing the information, they stopped letting them come in. Well, the IG report came, was made public, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. still, it, it like had a result where like they, they were still suppressing like journalists and stuff. So I feel like even if it were released, they still can't trust that they're not going to find a way. But that to... was Trump's administration yeah, and she... leadership, not the Office of Inspector General. Okay. Because the Office of Inspector General, despite what they found, released all those photos and everything. And that's why I put a little more faith in them than mm-hmm. the Department of Justice. Because even though it's the Inspector General for the Department of Justice, they are a sort of a standalone independent uh, you know uh, thing that 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 that, uh, they came out and said struck and page didn't do anything wrong they came out and said comey didn't do anything wrong they said steel was credible like there's just been a lot that makes me have a little more faith in them than the department of justice and that's going to be the report i look to but watch and see if that report doesn't come out Mm -hmm. it usually takes about three to four months for an inspector general report to come out so if we don't have it by the end of the year then we should start asking questions yeah yeah, and then um, just some last beans here on me thinking that he committed suicide himself. He, to me, doesn't have a... He has way more of a motive to kill himself than I think people realize because outside of him just being a total piece of shit, number one, if he kills himself, he gets to escape justice. He doesn't have to face his actions publicly in court, which is what narcissists literally, like, pathologically cannot do, is be faced with what they've done. And thirdly, he has no plea deal hopes in this, right? Because the crimes involve children, and I can't imagine that he could do any amount of flipping that would and morally even if he allow did, them. He would be turning on very rich and powerful people. Exactly. Like there's, it's like there's nothing <clears throat> that he could really have done. I think to get himself out of prison, out of spending prison for the, like the the rest of his life there. So yeah. Uh, yeah. One thing I do want to advocate for is that um, the language uh, committed suicide. Uh, I prefer, and I think it's best to say died by suicide because committing. Uh, indicates that you have you're a criminal and because and it is illegal in some places to uh, die by suicide i which i think is wrong so i i don't want to i guess i don't want to um put that on them yeah because a lot of times when we die by suicide we are victims or survivors of of mental health issues so yeah, I now some people that. might some people might argue, well, f- fuck him. He's a narcissist. If he died by suicide, it's because he's an asshole. So he committed suicide. But I mean, I I, I just think that the language in general should should probably change. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I do think though that it could be argued that it was criminal doing that in some sense because it stopped an investigation, which right. is like the biggest amount of obstruction, regardless of the morbid nature of how that happened, and you can't inherently prosecute anyone once they're dead so technically i guess you wouldn't say that anything was criminal 
Not to say I'm not like standing by saying I'm not gonna die on a hill. I'm <laughs> saying commit no, suicide. Just an interesting. Now the criminal case, the charges will be vacated because he mm-hmm. is dead. Uh, but the civil suits will go on, and there's a there's upsides and downsides to that. We're gonna go over that in our in our Monday morning Daily Beans episode. So mm-hmm. tune in for that because we talk a lot about that. Spoken to and listen to folks like Renato Mariotti and Pre Barrara talk about how we move forward legally from this standpoint and how it benefits the victims and survivors in some way and in other ways it hinders the investigation yeah like you're talking about but one of the big things is that no one now he would have been the only one who could have filed motions to um dismiss evidence gotten by warrants and searches he he's he was the only one that could do that it can't be done now yeah so that is a benefit to uh the investigations um and the and the survivors but Mm -hmm. there are downsides too we'll talk about on the daily beans so Tune in for that. Um, if you're a patron, you'll get that episode Sunday night. Um, <clears throat> uh, let's see. Let's uh, head on to fed- federal judge Reggie Walton this week. Uh, says he's thinking about releasing an unredacted version of the Mueller report in response to a consolidated FOIA lawsuit brought by BuzzFeed and the nonprofit uh, Electronic Privacy Information Center. They are seeking to remove black bars covering almost a thousand items from the report. My favorite part of this story is when I tweeted out the news. I got someone replied to me and said, not all of the redactions will be uncovered, only part. To which I replied, correct. Grand jury material and material that would harm and open an ongoing investigation would remain redacted. But most interesting would be the reveal of the reasons that the likes of Kushner and Jr. weren't brought up on charges of lying. To which the person said, I know I'm one of the plaintiffs. Smiley face. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was Jason Leopold from BuzzFeed. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so I was Muller-splaining Jason Leopold of BuzzFeed of BuzzFeed's News own case to him. That's so funny. I know. It was, I'm like, correct, sir. Uh, you are correct. He's, <laughs> he's like, oh, thanks. Hey, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's my case. It's <laughs> like, oh, ha, ha, duh. Love your face. Uh, that's so uh, funny. So that was pretty funny uh, and took me down a peg or two. Like, all right, uh, I shouldn't be Muller-splaining so hard on Twitter. I might be talking to a plaintiff. So that was kind of funny. Judge Reggie Walton is the guy who, you know, a, a few months back, I, th- I think it was in April, where he he was saying, I need to look at the redactions of the Mueller report. I need to find out if what Bill Barr is saying is, uh, or what he's choosing to redact is, you know, like, legal. And uh, so he he's also weighing that option. So mm-hmm. he not only is he thinking about redacting a bunch of stuff, or unredacting, removing the bars on a bunch of stuff, but he's also looking at maybe weighing what, redactions like looking at them and seeing if they you know meet the standard for having you know needing to be redacted in Mm -hmm. the first place so that'll be interesting um the judge cited the epstein deal as an example of how obfuscating the reason behind not prosecuting high profile people like kushner or jr generates public distrust in the american criminal justice system yes it does uh the judge is also like i said weighing reviewing the redacted bits to see if they line up with the law uh, though the Justice Department is trying to block the release of the information. Mm, duh. Uh, Walton says he has some concerns about trying to reconcile the characterization of Mueller's work by William Barr and Trump, saying, quote, he said, this is what the judge said, quote, it had seemed to be inconsistent with what the report itself said. Uh, yep. So we'll stay on this story for you. That's pretty big to have a federal judge say that, though. <laughs> yeah. And go BuzzFeed. Yes. Oh, yeah. Go Jason. Sorry, I thought you were not Jason. 
Uh, <laughs> and this week, Amy Berman, Judge Jackson, if you're nasty, she has dropped one of the two counts against former Obama White House Counsel Democrat Greg Craig that we thought he should be penalized for having two first names. He was only <laughs> charged with falsifying a FARA filing and then lying about it. Specifically, she dropped the FARA charge, um, Foreign Agency Registration Act, saying that a letter he wrote in 2013 to the Department of Justice, FARA office, was not part of a formal FARA filing, so it can't be the basis for a charge under the law barring false FARA submissions. His trial starts this week, uh, Monday, um, for the remaining charge of making false statements relating to his attempt to deceive investigators about his role in promoting a report he prepared on behalf of the Ukrainian government, sorry, Ukrainian government in 2012 about its corruption, It's about its um, corrupted, prosecution of Yanukovych opponent Yulia Tymoshenko. So, Jordan, you had asked about this 2013 letter to the Department of Justice FARA office during an episode of the Daily Beans this week, and I did a little digging. So it turns out the letter he sent to the FARA office falsely claimed he was not lobbying for a foreign government. But mm -hmm. since the letter was not a legal FARA form, uh, it cannot be used on the basis as a basis for a criminal charge. Okay. I'm not sure why he couldn't then be charged... Uh, with failing to file as a foreign agent at all. Yes. <laughs> Let alone lying. <laughs> but this particular charge seemed to be for lying on a FARA filing only and not failing to file. All right. So we could see a superseding indictment for failing to file as a registered agent at all. Yeah. If they find that it's worth their time for what they'll get out of the prosecution. That's so you, interesting. You might add Greg Craig to your superseding indictments, fantasy indictment league. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. never know. I'll take the first name. You can have the last one. <laughs> we'll split the points. <laughs> Blackjack. <laughs> uh, also this week, Department of Justice released dozens of FBI 302 interviews from Bruce Orr a then-senior Justice Department official during the investigation of ties between Trump and Russia. Bruce Orr has been a target of Trump and his supporters decrying deep state conspiracies, despite the indictment of 26 Russians and Russian entities. Uh, the intelligence community assessment... Uh, also, so not only do we have this, you know, the 26 Russians that were indicted, we have the intelligence community assessment that Russia interfered in the election on Trump's behalf, and we have congressional testimony from Mueller, Chris Ray, saying that the Russians interfered in the election. So uh, despite all that, he's, this guy's been a target. And the interviews indicate that uh, these 302s indicate that Orr knew that Chris Steele did not want Trump to be president based on what he found, uh, and that our FBI did not disclose that information um, to the FISC is what the Trump supporters are saying uh, when they applied for a FISA warrant on Carter Page using, mm -hmm. in part, the Steele dossier. But prosecutors did, in fact, inform the judge of the origin of the information, and Rod Rosenstein signed off on it four separate times. Um, Ellie Orr, that's Bruce's wife, happened to work for Fusion GPS, which was originally hired by Republican opponents of Donald Trump, but then was hired by the Clinton campaign after Trump won the GOP nomination. Also of note, the first interview of Orr was more than a month after the FBI asked a judge to approve surveillance on Carter Page, who had left the Trump campaign months earlier. The application explicitly stated, the FBI speculates the identified person was likely looking for information that could be used to discredit uh, candidate one's campaign. Mm -hmm. So it was told to the FISC when applying for the FISA for Carter Page by the FBI that this part of the application, the application was like six to eight hundred pages, and we know that the that, you know, the um, Steele dossier is not the tiny part of that application. Mm -hmm. And they did tell the court, hey, just so you know, this was oppo research by people who didn't want Trump to be president. Mm -hmm. So they they did mention it. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but, yeah, this is it's this is part of the DOJ. You know, I feel like Barr is declassifying these documents to try to yeah. make it look like deep states a thing. Mm -hmm. 
Get off the freaking dossier. (laughs) (laughs) And something very interesting that came out of the Ore document dump was a statement in a 302 from what appears to be an interview with Glenn Simpson for Fusion GPS about the Alpha Bank server communication with Trump Tower. Mm -hmm. Listen to this clip really quick from way back in October, October 14th of last year in our episode called The Mueller Megasode. Check it out. All right. I'd like to talk a bit about a theory I'm cooking up. Um, about the three big stories that dropped this week, uh, one about the Alpha Bank servers, uh, one about Gates and his connection to the Israeli firm Psy Group, uh, and the Peter Smith update. And let me say, this is conjecture. A lot of this is conjecture. There'll be facts in here, but this is just hold on because it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna get tinfoily. Uh, I noticed there was something that was mentioned in all three of the stories, uh, a thread that runs through them all. And if they all drop pretty much at the same time, almost the same day, within the same 24 hours, 48 hour period, I think it could have been because of that one common thing, like something was found and somebody had, you know, that had gotten out. Uh, It just seems odd, the timing and that this is one thing that that goes through everything. And I started to wonder about the timeline um, of the Trump campaign and the Alpha server communications. So let's start with a common thread. All three stories, Peter Smith, Psy Group and the Alpha Bank story all mention foldering. And they mess- uh, uh, and messenger apps, right? So foldering is that communications technique, like I said, where you log into your email, write a draft, don't send it because sending it is detectable. Uh, and there are uh, all, all three of these stories come on the heels of the Manafort cooperation deal. And Manafort is a known folderer. So <laughs> what makes that common theme of foldering and messenger apps important is the timing of these stories. It seems to me that foldering or messenger app Intel could have been the catalyst for these stories. And Manafort, as I said, he's a known user of foldering and messenger apps like WhatsApp and Signal. If you remember when Manafort was on house arrest wearing two ankle bracelets, mm-hmm. uh, the feds caught him foldering with a guy named Sager in an attempt to influence his testimony in Manafort's then upcoming D.C. trial. Manafort was subsequently charged with witness tampering, thrown in jail, and his bail was revoked. Uh, according to the amazing reporting about the Alpha Bank servers, as I mentioned earlier in the show, there were peculiar communications between the Alpha Bank server and Trump and the Trump domain, Trump Tower server. And to get answers, the cyber experts uh, found that these communications, they, they put two groups of cyber experts together, separated them so they didn't communicate. And uh, these cyber experts found that the communications between the servers called DNS lookups did not seem to align with patterns associated with normal email marketing or spam, which is what usually happens uh, in that you know between servers like that um, two separate independent groups of experts concluded these communications were likely not emails or spam but the the DNS lookup seemed to be random and manual not automated and they could be foldering which requires a DNS lookup to, to for the other person to log into your Gmail account or whatever email account you're using to folder or the utilization of a messenger app they do not have the messages um, they only have the DNS lookups and when they occurred, though Adam Schiff did request the meat of the messages from uh, Sendine and Alpha Bank uh, without but without subpoena power. He couldn't he couldn't get those data. Just so please. <laughs> <laughs> so now remember Sager, that's the guy Manafort was trying to communicate with and was ultimately charged with witness tampering for an obstruction of justice for. Well, he pops up in the New York Times story about Rick Gates and Psy Group. Sager is the guy Birnbaum got Gates's email address from to discuss Psy Group capabilities. So now we have Manafort, Gates and Sager all using foldering for sure and probably messenger apps as well. And the reason I mentioned foldering there at the end of that was because three stories dropped that week in October that mentioned foldering technique, um, which it's the and the use of encrypted messenger apps like WhatsApp and Signal. 
And foldering is a primitive way to hide communications by drafting emails, saving them in the draft folder of your email account without sending them, and then providing your password to the person you're trying to secretly communicate with so they can log in and read your drafts without actually sending the emails. And foldering would generate these types of DNS lookups found in the Alpha Bank server communications. Manafort and Gates were known folderers. Uh, Manafort had a Trump Tower apartment at the time. Uh, Manafort and Gates worked with Vanderswan and Greg Craig. They used foldering when they talked to them, um, and they worked together on that Skadden and Arps report that attempted to justify the jailing of Yanukovych opponent Yulia Tymoshenko. And as we know, Vanderswan's father worked at Alpha Bank. Manafort foldered with a guy named Sager when he tried to get him to lie on Manafort's behalf. That move got Manafort's bail revoked, and he was put in jail for, you know, tampering with witnesses, mm-hmm. suborning perjury. Sager also happens to be the guy Birnbaum got Gates's email from so he could pitch Psy Group to the Trump campaign. And the Alpha Bank server activity started shortly after the Trump campaign got proposals from Joel Zamel and Psy Group. Uh, well, these newly released 302s include, include a blurb that says, quote, the New York Times story from October 3rd, 2016, that downplayed the connection between Alpha Bank servers and the Trump campaign was incorrect. There was communication and it was not spam. So we've had beans on this for a long time. <clears throat> I think this is the kind of stuff that's going to be true for a lot of things the DOJ tries to release uh, in an effort to make Trump look good. So, uh, you know, it, in every situation that they do this, there will also be something that makes Trump look bad. It's mm-hmm. going to be hard for them to find things to release that doesn't implicate that don't implicate the president. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So keep them coming. <laughs> um, the Wall Street Journal reported this week that police in the Philippines have launched an investigation into 8chan, where the owner and founder live. Um, they both live there. They have said yeah, they're down the street from each other. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, they have said they are specifically looking for any negligence in the moderation of the site, like moderators, mm-hmm. that could be linked to the U.S. domestic terrorism, uh, specifically the mass shootings linked to 8chan, such as the El Paso murders. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. So they're yeah. under investigation by uh, the police there. And that one is. of them want. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, one of them wants to have HN like. Well, it's already been taken down by the servers, but they want it to be done forever. Yeah. And then the other guy, Jim, is all for it, and he's creepy for so many reasons. Yeah. But yeah, it's his moneymaker. Is that first guy you were talking about different from the guy that left back in December? Yes, he because he was the original founder, and yes. Jim got on board. I just forget his name. Who's, okay, yeah, the original founder's know. name. Yeah, the guy. Me. I think the guy who left last year is the founder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's one of the guys. Yeah, okay. but he wants the site. He's like done. he's done with it. Right. Yeah. But this new guy is like, come on, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other guy, Jim, his uh first business that really got him some money was some kind of Japanese porn thing, like huh. a porn website. Which you know, I have no problem with porn, but just knowing that. That was his first, like, you know, baby of a project. And now he's like, yeah, let's keep A-Chan going. I'm like, oh, this just, together, it doesn't look good. Individually, <laughs> it's like, fine, have a porn side. But, like, now being the guy that's, like, the f- the face, basically, of white supremacy, or at least allowing it to have its free speech, it's like, okay, yeah. fuck you. Yeah, like A-Chan, he just really believes in Japanese porn on principle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That should just exist. But only girl-on-girl totally. girl Japanese porn. Yes, yes and yes, that's yes. all. Yeah. And that's a moral thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's why they won't close A-Chan. Yeah, that's it. That's the only reason. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Y'all can fuck and we'll watch it, but yeah. you can't get a visa. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. The site got taken down, though? It, it's servers, like, kicked them off, but they can find a new server home if somebody's willing to take I think they've in. popped up somewhere, but it's it's that whole whack-a-mole thing yeah. that's, yeah. that's They're happening. looking for a new permanent home, and they, they could find it, honestly. Someone might host them eventually. Yeah. I've never been on the website, but do you know if they advertise on there? Oh, you know what? I've only been on for, like, a few minutes, and I can't remember. Okay. They might have the space for it from my vague memory, but it's pretty, like... 
Yeah, straightforward. It's not like one of those fancy sites. It's like an old forum. They okay. must. Yeah. I mean, they monetize it somehow. Yeah, yeah, somehow. If they have ads, then I don't believe anything that comes out of that dude's mouth oh. about wanting to keep it going. He's got to be making money somehow. Some yeah. reason. Yeah. yeah, if they weren't making money, I don't think they'd be fighting so hard for free mm-hmm. speech. Exactly. Exactly. I guess yeah. I tuned out the ads that might have been there when I I was like focused because yeah. I knew it would be shutting down in the hours that I was on. Mm-hmm. And so I went you're like, straight, mm-hmm. yeah, I was looking for the, the content. Right? Yeah, it's like their uh, s- their subgroup called Poll, like uh-huh. short for politics, and it was just gross seeing those last few comments oh my god that yeah. were still up when you oh for sure they were it. they were like oh they're gonna shut us down boys and they were like don't worry we're gonna come back up they're not gonna stop us we'll keep at it and i'm like fuck <laughs> yeah jesus mm. gross mm-hmm. special even if it was Scary. free speech fuck fuck it if it was just about that but i doubt it, I, it yeah i don't know i think you know originally it was that's why the founder started it he would he went in a place where it was but like not all speech is free chance. speech exactly mm-hmm. very there's always a cost damn ag yeah if you posted if you said the shit that you post you'd be like arrested so exactly yeah your speech isn't free if it incites murder right yeah so there's that totally uh in a related story though hate watch has obtained photographs of a guy named matthew q gabert um gebert jerbit i don't know he's a state (laughs) department official uh, a United States State, Depart- State Department official that also oversaw a D.C. chapter of a white nationalist organization, and he's published hate propaganda under the pseudonym Coach Finstock. The State Department has suspended Gebert from his job as foreign affairs uh, foreign affairs officer in the Bureau of Energy Re- Bureau of Energy Resources, according to a report Thursday from Politico. Uh, among the photos is one of Gebert as a white national at a white nationalist event in Charlottesville, Virginia, just months before the Unite the Right rally in August. Jesus. So that was somebody working in our very own State Department. He is now suspended. We will try to track that story for you. I doubt much more will come out on it. Don't they look into someone's online presence at all before they get hired? We used to. Yeah. Um, but now we know that the Office of Personnel of the President, they're all schmearing off icing each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and from Raw Story this week, we have learned that the Department of Justice uh, has blocked a report showing white supremacists were responsible for all race-based domestic terrorism incidents in 2018 in the United States. The report was circulated throughout the Justice Department in April, just as members of the Senate had asked the DOJ to provide them with information about the number of white supremacists involved in domestic terrorism. But the DOJ under Trump and Barr refused to hand the data over to Congress. Additionally, the Anti-Defamation League compiled a report announcing that right-wing extremism was linked to every 2018 extremist murder in the United States, making them responsible for more deaths than in any year since 1995. 1995, incidentally, was the year of the Oklahoma City bombing. That's a 35% increase over 2017, making 2018 the fourth deadliest year on record for domestic extremist-related killings since 1970. And despite the evidence, the Trump administration is not only not addressing it, Trump has actually substantially reduced or eliminated funding for programs that combat white supremacist extremism uh, and violence and terrorism. I'll discuss this a little later in the interview with Sam Vinograd, but they buried that report. Of course they did. Yeah. I'm glad we we eventually heard the truth, even though it's like disturbing as fuck. 100% of the domestic terrorism deaths. That's really scary. It's like everything is on edge right now. Like global warming, it's the hottest it's ever been. You know, the most, I guess, uh, Nazi-related deaths. It's just a bad time. Yeah, thirty-five yeah. percent increase over twenty seventeen. So, I wonder if they're related, the heat and the racism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it might be okay. Yeah, I definitely feel there's just like so much chaos brewing in general, and it the everything is just like fucking awful. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that. 
yeah, I'm not trying to say the chaos that global warming creates. No, no, they might not and people's actually. minds turns them into Nazis. Oh, let me see. Okay, so people get more violent in hot weather. It's been mm-hmm. proven. Okay, oh, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Thank you, Amanda. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get so many emails. Well, Zoltan <laughs> has a joke about that, you know? Like, the hotter it gets, like, just you get into more fights with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Like, yeah. you're a bitch, you're a dick, and you don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there could be unintended consequences of, like, in the Northern Triangle, if it gets so hot, that could be another reason for um, migration. Oh, shit, For just yeah. human migration to more northern more northerny whitey kind of areas right yeah the heat but now, now i'm just guessing <laughs> yeah. yeah no i'm angry when i'm hot you can't stand the hate yeah <laughs> i don't I, I, do. I don't murder people right yeah yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> right. i turn on a fan you know right but okay hmm. yeah i do think coping that... skills real low in this yes. group i think <laughs> like fucking go to the municipal pool dude yeah. oh how about that chill you out can't stand the hate stay out of the kremlin oh <laughs> you can't stand the heat. There was Stay literally the a report about heat and people's moods that came out about climate change. Aggression increases. Inter- mm. Yeah, that makes total sense. That's very interesting. Um, yeah. Thank you, uh, Amanda. Hell our yes. Our producer is handing over <laughs> secret notes. She's on it. In the room. Saying, yes. yes, it is linked. It is linked. Hate and heat and racism. Yeah, I can see it. Heat hate. Heat hate. Heat notes. hate. There's also so much. shows. Uh oh. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh. Uh, but okay. All right. But uh, also, I think this is a, a man problem. Mm. Uh, and of course, hashtag not all men. Right. But um, <laughs> like, women go through menopause. Hot oh. flashes happen. We don't murder people. We're programmed to just go on with our lives. No matter what the heat is, yeah, and, and men just don't have that, you know, built into them in their lives. Yeah, or the and, bleeding; they have to go to war. But no, I'm kidding. It's a totally different theory. Comedian Ryan Shores he put this post up, which I thought was hilarious. He he said, uh, "If you want to buy a gun, I think one of the rules should be you have to bring a female with you that says and will confirm she's had sex with you recently <laughs> in order to purchase the gun." I can see a whole underground like community of people like lying. That's so and funny. that's another thing: is females as a population, we have a bunch of sex we don't want to have. That's true. And these guys can't get it, so they're mad and hot and angry. Yeah. So uh, now I'm just making huge sweeping generalizations. No, they're, Please. They're hot and they're horny and they're angry. It's like yeah. I'm angry, but I can't. Call, yeah. They're yeah. Angry. <laughs> that should that be a great Snickers commercial. Just a white nationalist about to murder a bunch of people. Right. A melted like, Snickers. Do you need a Snickers? <laughs> yeah. Adolf, you. you're not yourself. <laughs> God. That's great. This is so awful. That's good. These are good ideas. Everything is so messed up right now. (laughs) (coughs) I I do think as our economic turmoil continues, and by that I just mean the widening gap between the rich and the poor too, racism becomes an increasingly used scapegoat too. So it's just like everything include and i mean global warming is related to the huge corporations of the world that yeah. just refuse to do anything to change it yeah, it's and misdirected they also, anger right <laughs> the old yeah. phrase the enemy totally. doesn't come on a boat the enemy comes in a limousine mm, uh, yeah that's good eat the rich yeah <laughs> i'm surprised the second one isn't yacht oh that's gonna be the new one yeah what the second one? like they boat. don't come on a limousine. they don't come on a boat they come on a yacht oh yeah. we could upgrade it to the times <laughs> that's way better yeah <laughs> inflation you know well one has water the other one doesn't yeah yeah you know? went from boat to it's really apples and oranges 
<laughs> yeah, people yacht. were starving the whole time. Yeah. Yacht wars. That show you wanted to start. Yeah. Oh, dude. Because yeah. we repossessed so many yachts of the <laughs> Justice Department from these dudes like Jolo and the mm-hmm. Malaysian Prime Minister and stuff. We yeah. have all these yachts just like hanging out. Like we yeah. own them. Put and them on like, TV. Yacht wars yachts. Los Angeles. Yeah. Yacht wars Miami. Comedians can go and bid on them. Uh, oh my but, God. but you don't Monopoly know. Money. Yeah, <laughs> but you don't know what's in the locker yet. Is there a yacht? Like it's just a, it's a storage locker. Oh, yeah. But there might be a photo like of a yacht. Or no there. Deal, yacht or no yacht. <laughs> or like Jeffrey Epstein's diamonds pile or something. Oh yeah, there. who gets those diamonds? Yeah, the state, mm. the victims. Or yeah, the United I hope States. the victims would be nice. Yeah, give them everything and it still won't be enough. But give it to them anyways. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, shit. <clears throat> That was nice, letting off some non-politically correct steam. <laughs> Don't add us. Um, not all men. I know. Love you guys. Um, we have a bunch of lawsuits this week. Uh, I'm going to go over those, except for the NRA lawsuit, yeah. uh, which you're going to go over, because the NRA did... We had a lot of NRA stories this week. I mean, mm-hmm. You're going to sum them all up first, Jordan. I'm going to go over the rest of the lawsuits in Hot Notes. And um, you're going to go over the uh, Khashoggi records uh, request by the U.S. government, right? Yep. <clears throat> and a quick note on Roger Stone before we uh, go to break, because uh, this is just so funny to me. Roger Stone has filed an objection in a court of law in the United States to request. He wants to he wants to object uh, the government's request to play a clip from The Godfather Part Two during his trial. Uh, saying that uh, this was the Pentangeli thing mm-hmm. where he's going to testify, and th- because basically I think what 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 they're saying is Stone um, was, I think, threatening Corsi or Credico or you know doing mob threats For like sure. I'm going to get your dog. Yeah, and so uh, the government was going to play Godfather Part Two in the court to sort of illustrate what this is all about. He's filing an objection, Roger Stone, saying it would instantly create a connection in the minds of jurors that Stone is similar to a murderous mafioso. Oh my goodness! But he, I mean, kind of is similar. We're not saying he's exactly that. Oh, he's exactly that. He's oh, you exactly think he's that. I think he's still really <laughs> bad. But I, I get the little bit of logic he's trying to apply, but it's not good enough. It's not a strong yeah. enough argument. He wishes I have he no, could murder. He doesn't I, have the resources. Yeah, <laughs> he's probably like a. Mm, I'm just going to hurt your dog, sort of. Which is fella. Still, and you, it's a tiny dog. People, yeah, they're very sensitive. It's to, not to like the guy's got a pit bull. Yeah, might as well know. be murderous. That's yeah, that's creepy enough. Yeah. <laughs> Californians. Yeah, love I don't have any any evidence that Stones had anyone bumped off on his way up to right. wherever he is selling stones out of his house with or his name on it. knocking people out with stones. That'd be the, I guess, more <laughs> effective way, but don't, yeah, don't at uh, me for that. <laughs> it just reminds me of, okay, <clears throat> so do you guys watch 30 Rock? Mm-hmm. I've seen it, yeah, yeah. There was a show that Kenneth came up with called Gold Case, and it was a combination of uh, Gold deal case. or no deal and do you want to be a millionaire oh. where you had to guess which case was full of gold oh yeah but they have these like wafy models holding these suitcases <laughs> yeah. and so one of them is clearly struggling, struggling. <laughs> and everyone's like that one I'll take that one nice. and that reminds me of Roger Stone saying what a brilliant idea I'm gonna sign rocks mm-hmm. and mail them to people and then when he gets the shipping bill <laughs> for how much it costs yeah. to ship rocks <laughs> <laughs> they've got to be hollow oh my shut it God. down we're yeah. shutting it down that's just how i see it going the guy walking out at the end of gold case shut it down it's not working well his only acquisition cost is a walk yeah, so. that's true very true yeah that's, that's, that's very good. simple 
Probably save money on the front end. <laughs> yeah, that's Infinite true. Infinite supply. That'd be great if somebody was stealing these stones from someone's yard oh. uh, and got in trouble for that. Very Just tack that on. Maybe a possible superseding <laughs> indictment for yeah. Roger Stone. Someone R- made us a Roger rock Stone. Rock stealing. Remember the Sharpie uh-huh. Roger? I still have it on my little window seal. Yeah. Yep, yeah. yep. I've got my Roger Stone as well. It was a tiny one, so it was yeah. fun. Yeah, a little pebble. Roger pebble. It was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, that was f- hilarious. Uh, so, uh, no, he doesn't want the Godfather 2. I'm really interested to see judge jackson's ruling on this like dude yeah you'd be able to play any movie you want in court if that's relevant i think that's a good idea for precedent we don't want the jury to it'll instantly make him think taint the jury yeah he's tainting enough of the jury. <sighs> he's a giant taint yeah all right guys we'll be right back Hey, this is AG from Muller She Wrote, and we want to thank Third Love for sponsoring this episode. I am now officially obsessed with Third Love bras for a multitude of reasons. First, it's women-run, and that kind of organization I can get behind. It's data-driven. They use real women's bodies in their ads, um, so it's not, you know, all the rolls and tattoos and piercings, and it's great. They have more sizes than most other brands, and they're very philanthropic, too. Third Love uses millions of real women's measurements to design their bras, and they do so with size and shape in mind. To date, over 12 million women have taken the Fit Finder quiz to find their perfect fit in 60 seconds. Uh, They help you identify your breast size and your breast shape, which makes a big difference in how your bra fits. So you can find styles that fit your body. And they have a 100% fit guarantee. And this is where the philanthropy comes in. Every customer has 60 days to wear their bra, wash it, see if they love it. And if you love it, keep it. If you don't love it, if it's not the perfect fit for you, simply return it. Uh, for free and third love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need and it makes bra shopping super convenient no need to go to a store with a judgy lady with a measuring tape Uh, and they do have though fit stylists that are available every day to assist via phone chat or text if you want to talk to somebody so no weird pressure no tape measure chases so this is hands down the most comfortable bra you'll, you'll ever own the straps don't dig they don't slip they're tagless so they don't itch they're lightweight and breathable i highly recommend taking the fit finder quiz and giving them a try with 100 percent fit guarantee you've got nothing to lose a third love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone so right now they're offering our listeners 15 percent off your first order so go to thirdlove.com ag now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15 percent off your first purchase that's thirdlove.com slash ag for 15 percent off today you'll be glad you did all right welcome back hot notes all right jordan we had multiple nra stories drop this week and you're going to give us all those details but first jaleesa you have an update on the jamal khashoggi case what is the latest yeah so today we learned from npr that a federal judge in new york named paul engelmeyer has ordered the trump administration to release records on the death of journalist jamal khashoggi as we know, Khashoggi was murdered in Turkey last year by Mohammed Bonesaw, and apparently there are over 5,000 documents related to his death that the judge said is of, quote, considerable public importance. The original request for the documents was filed by a group called Open Society Justice Initiative, and in response to the judge, their lead attorney said, quote, this ruling is a clarion call for accountability at a time when the Trump administration is doing everything possible to hide the truth on who is responsible for Khashoggi's murder. So clarion call. I heard um, Obama mention that phrase too this week. I thought that was interesting. Is that how you pronounce it, clarion? Yeah, clarion call. Yeah, yeah, clarion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just interesting. Um, but yeah, I think it's really important that people do bring this up. But it, it, it's just crazy that it's taken so long even to get these basic documents. I think they were probably waiting for um, Trump's violation of the Magnitsky Act, but he was supposed to report to Congress what he thought and what his, uh, I guess, what his findings were. 
um, after it was reported to him what 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 went down, mm-hmm. he had 120 days when they triggered the Magnitsky Act mm-hmm. when Congress did, and he that day came and went a while ago, and I, I suppose maybe there was some sort of a legal, mostly. Whenever anybody says, I wonder what took so long, there was pr- there's probably legal behind the scenes things you have to do for due process in order to put your case together yeah. to make it a good case. Um, and so that uh, that would be my guess. I don't know for sure. Right. But they and probably delayed even more by the administration itself. Yeah, yeah so. exactly. Because um, you got to wait for them to not do anything for 120 days. And then you probably have to wait another certain amount of days after that before you file a complaint or whatever mm-hmm. or, or have it, you know, investigated or looked into. But now this judge is ordering it. So that's mm-hmm. good. That's yeah. Better late Seriously. than never. It just makes me feel like we're in like, you know. Putin territory this is what he does like with, oh yeah with, so I know that this was like Saudi Arabia but the whole idea of murdering journalists is is so Putin style and they're all intertwined so the thought that this has already happened to a U.S. resident at least and and that's not a big deal to the president like it, well of course he doesn't want to you know disrupt the Middle East Marshall Plan yeah yeah which it you must have be to have Saudi Arabia and Russia on board for that's um, probably the exchange right and like, this and Saudi Arabia yeah if you do this we won't do anything about it basically yeah and we'll buy arms from you here's billions of dollars uh, and uh, you know we'll help you keep this under wraps uh, you know etc I mean it's Crazy. it's just all part of this huge yeah I wonder if any of the documents are related to what Khashoggi was investigating to like his actual I guess stories that he was following it could have been I, I'm not sure what he was working on uh, if he maybe he was working on the Middle East Marshall Plan but but he was definitely a, a, a dissident uh, for mm-hmm. the Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. um, in fact he was expelled from Saudi Arabia for negatively reporting about Trump that's right oh like literally right before he got killed right a couple months yeah 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 weird time oh no he'd been here for i think over a year but oh, okay okay yeah and that's why he was in exile was mm-hmm. because he had re- said negative things about trump yeah uh, otherwise he would have been in saudi arabia they'd call yeah. him in turkey because and he worked for washington post which is a bezos joint bezos yep. owns the washington post yeah. uh, and at sure. amazon and remember how he tried to pressure the trump tried to pressure the postmaster general to double amazon shipping costs to sort of try to cripple financially cripple uh bezos exactly because of the washington post reporting yeah. so he's got a history of trying to fuck with the washington post mm-hmm. just for his own petty reasons mm-hmm. and now you got this motive here wasn't um khashoggi in turkey because he was trying to get his like marriage license or something so he was living in the u.s at the time of his death right mm-hmm. but he was visiting turkey to, to get, get a car- marriage license yeah yeah that's just crazy and that's where he was kidnapped murdered and dismembered and then Yep. Possibly dissolved in acid somewhere. Oh, the Apple Watch. I wonder if that's a part of the documents at all. Because I guess they can't all be like, they don't have to be print, like, you know, or, or, or text documents. I wonder if any audio has come from what happened. Because there was like a rumor at the time that he recorded his whole death, like the audio on his, oh, Apple, on his Watch. Apple Watch. Yeah. So I'm just curious about what these documents actually are. Yeah. And, files, uh, and yeah. I think this judge is saying it's important that the public has this because of the wide, the widening public's distrust in, mm-hmm. in what's going on at our yeah. Department of Justice. Huge. Which is connected to so many things right now, mm-hmm. um, not just the Mueller report, but what we were talking about earlier with Epstein and and those findings and their investigation into what happened there, and, and of course, oh, and then uh, he Kashuk had that G. passport to Saudi Arabia too. Epstein wasn't his fake passport for Saudi Arabia. Uh, his address was in Saudi Arabia, but okay. it was from somewhere else, and that was to I think protect him from uh, hijackings. Oh God, stupid, stupid excuse. Um, but okay, yeah. Well, hopefully, we find out more about this. I, I see little dots, but I don't know exactly how they connect yet. So well, we also have to remember that Epstein and American media. Inc. were in bed together, probably collecting dirt on super rich and famous people because Pecker had a safe with shit in it. Epstein had a safe with shit in it. 
Um, and then, you know, Pecker and Dylan Howard from AMI signed the non-prosecution agreement. And then they tried to ex- uh, extort uh, Bezos. Mm-hmm. And Bezos came out and did the whole article mm-hmm. in Medium about how he was being extorted. And yep. that probably blew up their non-prosecution agreement in the hush money payment case. Yeah. And then AMI, of course, was in bed with Saudi Arabia when they published that giant glossy magazine about the future of the beautiful, amazing princes in Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates. And there was a connection, uh, according to Bezos's security guy, that Saudi Arabia was the one who hacked or helped uh, Jeff Bezos's mistress's brother hack his phone, mm-hmm. and that they were somehow involved in it. So Saudis got their hands in a lot of different stuff, and and when you bring in this Khashoggi thing, how related it is, I don't know, but hopefully we'll see through these documents. Totally. All right, uh, Jordan, what is going on this week uh, with the failing? The failing NRA. Uh, has Trevor ever said that? No, no. but oh, okay. <laughs> just like remix all his quotes. Yeah. yeah, I was doing a failing. I, New- so. I was doing right. a failing New York oh, Times totally. parody. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, no, I wouldn't put it past him to use the same cadence for everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're um, dead to me, NRA. <laughs> yes, but uh, but yeah, the NRA had another tough week this week, and what's basically just a continued fall from financial grace. And this week's news is all centered around the NRA chief, Wayne LaPierre, and his lavish spending. So there's more criticism coming down from that. Earlier this week, we learned that after the Parkland shooting, Wayne LaPierre tried to set up the purchase of a $6 million mansion in Texas and intended on using the nonprofit's money to make that purchase. $6 million here? Uh, we'll get you like a condo. <laughs> yeah, that is true. It's a fat ass estate in West <laughs> but yeah, Lake, the, Texas. The picture of it, it's sprawling. So big. Huge. Probably a hundred bedrooms. Probably way more bathrooms than you'll ever be able to pee in for the yeah. rest of your life. With a yeah. last name like that, you gotta go big, right? Yes, <laughs> LaPierre. And uh, his wife apparently was like complaining about there not being enough room in the men's closet. Not enough toilets <laughs> in the bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> so there was, they still had issues with it. They could get Matthew Fudd- fucking Whitaker come put some big dick toilets in yeah you only need one you can share it together you only need that big (laughs) (laughs) she Uh, needs a big dick toilet for a strap on oh there you go that's right because you don't take it off at the same time yeah and she i don't know that was clever that was quick thank you Um, gross (laughs) (laughs) i just got what i said oh okay yeah Um, yeah strap on toilet yep fucking shit up moving along (laughs) all right uh in the so we <laughs> dick plungers should be a thing though. They got drop on plungers, yeah. right? But which one is the which side? Okay, I'm confused. It's a new right. birth control. Yeah, yeah multi-purpose. Just suck it out. Uh, but <laughs> so the 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 what's <laughs> the claim? Uh, is that he he said that he needed this house to protect him after all of the threats that he was getting in the wake of the Parkland shooting. And apparently only a massive estate in a gated community and a permanent membership to the estate's country club would do the trick. Oh, That's yeah. Was, well, you uh, got to hide out in the country club if they come to your mansion. Yeah, hide right. in a golf hole, right? Like, you got to have, because, I mean, you know, golf courses provide a lot of cover, right? Just, mm-hmm. like, burrow in the sand trap, yes, maybe? Totally. Or, uh, the mimosas use, like, hide under the trees. Just dive yeah. into the lake. Oh yeah, Yeah, it's a pretty wide open area. I think is what we're getting at. It would be a really terrible place to hide. Oh yeah, and then that's why the house needs to be so big as well. So it's like the fucking. But you could hide it in the country club. Mm -hmm. You could hide in the in the omelet bar area. Yes, Yes. Yes. the omelet bar. (laughs) Oh my, hearkening back to Trump's omelet bar visits. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) sorry. Yeah. 
But it's like the God complex of this man is insane. To try to justify that using NRA money for this would be appropriate because his specific comfortability is just so necessary for the advancement of Second Amendment rights. Yeah. That, that's insane. When you're responsible for so many deaths, you probably do feel like God at a certain point. Yeah, right? that's you're true. You're like, oh, I decide who lives and dies. This yeah, is crazy. That is basically <clears throat> how it seems like is happening. Uh, they also said that they needed two cars to be purchased as well and kept at the estate. Well, that's oh. how you're going to get to the country club in times of distress. That's right. Mm-hmm. And you need one that like, can get break away. the land speed barrier or whatever. Yeah. Or maybe we're judging Trump too... Maybe we're judging Trump too harshly. Maybe he goes to cu- to golf clubs to hide out because he's actually in danger. Oh. And he, those are his safe safe spots. Yeah, I mean, technically, right? Yeah, maybe Considering we're... Considering everybody wants to, you know, fuck him up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, the transaction was also set to take place through an entity that was created at Wayne LaPierre's request, obviously creating another potential issue of, uh, I don't know, maybe money laundering well, maybe. Or, or, or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this, A little embezzlement there. Yeah. yeah. This plan purchase is also under investigation by New York investigators who are continuing to look into the NRA's nonprofit status uh, as undeserving as it may be. <laughs> and if they can legitimately, yeah, even claim that title. So the NRA is now strongly contesting the reported reasons for the purchase of the mansion and the reasons that it never went through. So wow. there's a bunch of disputing there. So he has to at least answer to it, right? Uh, Give him a reason? Yeah, well, hopefully, because it then came out. That well, yeah, through the investigation, right, sure. right. But also, it came out on Wednesday that a major NRA donor is filing a class action lawsuit against the NRA <gasps> to seek restitution for donation solicitation fraud. Oh my god! So calling them out basically for mismanaging money, and the man's name. Yeah, like I pay my dues. I want you to protect the Second Amendment, not get a six million dollar mansion and a bunch of cars and spend lavishly. Exactly. Wow, exactly. Can we sue the government in the same way? <laughs> Gosh. That'd be great. I mean, you can make the argument, right? Technically. In some way, I guess. It probably just yeah. wouldn't go anywhere because of lack of standing or something. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, because they but you could try. <laughs> the government, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the man's name who is suing them is David Delaquila, and he filed a federal class action lawsuit in Tennessee, citing lavish spending by Wayne LaPierre, who he claims blew $275,000 on suits alone. Oh, my God. And not not lawsuits. Just, <laughs> yeah. Just <laughs> suits that you wear on your body. Good suits. Old suits. <laughs> Clothes suits. Any yeah. tan suits in there? Uh, probably. Mm, mix it up. Yeah. And $243,000 on luxury travel. So together, that's well over uh, $500,000 just mm-hmm. on this bullshit. So yeah. he, this guy, uh, Del Aquila, he has given about $100,000 to the NRA in donations over the course of his time as a member. So mm-hmm. he is a big supporter. Not one of their biggest, though. $100,000 is almost chump change for them. <laughs> I'm almost like, suck it up. <laughs> you gave your you know what i'm glad he's going for it though i support it he it may, he might not win but i think it's about yeah it's about him fighting for what he thinks I, is. yeah i have a hard time supporting or caring about anybody who donated a hundred thousand dollars to the nra i mean unless he's like specifically thinking like i really want to protect my second amendment right which a lot of them actually are i think i i would give him credit it sounds like the fact that he's suing them at all is he doesn't represent what they do yeah, yeah but why is, did he think that a, a 501c4 private nonprofit would be advocating on his behalf in in government situations like that's it, it just seems odd that we'd be like suing a super PAC for that you know like the Trump victory fund 
when you found out Trump uh, didn't get the wall built. Well, if they if you know, the you'd be like, said, uh, we're you, gonna build the wall with your money, and then they didn't. I, that sounds like the avenue where they could go. But you can lie. Politicians are allowed to lie. You know, and you can sue them. I mean, they I might guess not win could, though. Right? It just yeah. seems like like yeah. a, it's like, like a, a message, right? More of a, a he's like doing it, doing it for the I guess just for the morality of it, right? But he's like if like, somebody filed a class action lawsuit against a Trump victory fund because there's not a wall right now, I'd mm-hmm. be like fucking fuck off yeah but in this case just because we've been reporting on it i'm like this is fucking crazy i wasn't expecting that to be the outcome like because we're listing all the reasons why they suck and we're like yeah man but what can you do about it and he's like i'm gonna fucking do something about it yeah that blows my mind yeah totally and i guess in that example maybe it wouldn't just be the fact that there is not a wall that's built but also that they've used the money on these crazy other things Right, right. That were that were not laid out in whatever contract or something they signed when they gave money right, to like them. how I wanted to, to like try to do a class action suit against Jill Stein for soliciting funds for a recount, and then that kind of never went anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. You know. Totally. Yeah, I think that it that sh- there'd be a similar case brewing up against her for that too, because that does that is fraudulent. It seems just inherently to tell someone you're going to use the money for a certain thing and I mean, use it. I for think you would have else. to prove intent that you were intending before you got the money that you were intending not to use it for yep. its solicited purpose. That you right. probably have to prove that through some sort of explicit. Don't have Mueller do the investigation because mm, yes. he's, he's not going to find it. <laughs> yeah, no. God, yes. <laughs> he's going to be like, mm, they're too stupid to crime. Yeah. Yeah. Right, basically. Yeah, and I'm sure there's Have Comey so do it. He freaking... got Martha Stewart in jail for That's it. That's right, and he was conflicted, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Should I take this white woman to jail? I gotta. I guess so. <laughs> Come on, Martha. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, ladies. Uh, so, Delacula, he writes that we feel that the NRA no longer represents its membership and has been corrupted by those in control. He says that the NRA needs to reform their bylaws and that they need more transparency and accountability. And in addition to this lawsuit, he also sent letters to the New York and D.C. attorneys general requesting that they finish up their investigations before the 2020 election so their investigations do not seem politically motivated because he takes these things seriously and he thinks if they do any early morning raids he says which was a total jab right at the roger stone arrest Mm -hmm. uh that it's going to be uh seen as something that's not legitimate when it is and this all comes just a week after a few high up nra board so that's just like a nice sort of hey here's a piece of advice i think so (laughs) yeah but it's also like hey man get off that horse for a second dude (laughs) (laughs) just a minute right (laughs) yeah he files one class action lawsuit get off your polo horse for a second yeah. How much did he spend on that high horse? Like, yeah. yeah, seriously. That's I, a thoroughbred. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when your high horse is a thoroughbred. <laughs> and You might be, uh, I don't know what the new term is, a red hat. You might be a red hat. Oh, if that's funny. <laughs> your horse is a thoroughbred. <laughs> it's funny. Um, so yeah, the NRA is crumbling. This all comes just a week after some high up NRA board members resigned, also citing concerns with all of the spending. That's right. Like three, like three oh, just three really like peace out, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's three of like 96 or something. 70, so. 76. Thank yeah. you. Um, so. And I only remember that because small. it was four more than 72, which is how many virgins you get in heaven if ah. you die by suicide bomb. That's uh, right. In the name of Allah. In Perfect. The that. Uh, it's a weird way to remember shit, it but it worked. Yeah, mnemonics <laughs> yeah. come in all forms. I remember that because in the movie uh, Sausage Party, there was a guy who said, "If I like do this, I'll go to jail and have seventy-two like virgin olive oil bottles waiting for me." It was like some weird reference. Did you see Sausage oh, Party? Oh, seventy-two virgin olives. Yeah, yeah, yeah virgin yeah, olives. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like, that's clever. Yeah, yeah it was a terrorist though. So. <laughs> Sausage Party. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's interesting. That's a funny movie. Yeah. <laughs> I need to see that. That was Seth Rogen, right? Oh, yeah. So nice. good. So inappropriate. It's yeah. super it dirty. You're oh, like, yeah? whoa. <laughs> like, so it was funny. like when I first saw South Park on TV. Yeah. yeah like, How are like you like getting that. away with mm-hmm, this? Dude, or Big Mouth. Oh, it's I worse than that. Big Mouth. I love that. It's worse so than Big much. Mouth. Yeah. yeah. Watch it's the whole thing. Definitely the I mean, better, worse. Yeah, right. Good. Okay. Good, good, worse. Right, Good Michael Jackson, know. bad. Good. Oh no, it's different now. <laughs> I guess, yeah. yeah, you can't even use that. It's just bad, bad. Damn it! <laughs> That's so funny. It's just bad, bad. It's not even Michael Jackson bad. <sighs> yeah, we should have believed him when he said he was bad. Yeah, um, we didn't listen. <laughs> he was trying to tell us. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. People tell you who they are if you listen. So true. <laughs> um. <laughs> But yeah, just to wrap this up, I think it's uh, it's very interesting to me that it takes the mismanagement of money and not the mismanagement of lives for anyone in that organization to be pissed or skeptical that they're doing the right thing. But whatever, at least they're losing power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully this will just be another hit. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm Death glad that you're stand up. Even if he doesn't win cuts. this, exactly the beginning of something else that just keeps coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, we're looking for the class action suit where they killed a bunch of people. Um, Ooh, yes. Uh, all right, God, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank Thanks you. for the hot notes mm-hmm. there. Um, this week, guys, we have a ton of lawsuits filed that y'all should know about. Trump sued California. Um, the Department of Justice filed an amicus brief in the Mazars fi- uh, lawsuit. Nadler filed a lawsuit to get uh, Don McGahn's testimony. Peter Strzok is suing the DOJ, FBI, Bill Barr, and Chris Ray, And Andrew McCabe is suing the Department of Justice and the FBI as well. And both um, the Strzok and McCabe suits are for wrongful termination. So let's start with Trump suing California. As you may know, Governor Gavin Newsom recently signed a law that would require all presidential candidates to release their tax returns to appear on the primary ballot. Trump's biggest fight has been to keep his taxes and finances out of the public eye. When Mueller was appointed, for example, the first thought after, oh, my God, this is the end of my presidency, I'm fucked was to draw a red line around his finances, telling everyone that Mueller would be crossing that line if he looked into his personal and business dealings. He was so worried about his finances becoming public that he hired his former personal tax lawyer as the general counsel for the Internal Revenue Service, and he installed a business partner that profits from Trump-owned properties as the commissioner of the Internal Revenue Service. It was so important for him to have these allies in the IRS that he prioritized the confirmation of the IRS commissioner above the confirmation of Bill Barr. One could reasonably assume he was more worried about keeping his taxes secret than he was about the contents of the Mueller report. Um, Then when the House Ways and Means Committee asked the IRS and the Treasury for Trump's taxes under law, uh, Trump filed suit to block it. He filed the lawsuit to block them. And uh, when congressional committees subpoenaed Trump's accounting firm, Mazars, for his financial records, he sued to block that. And it's becoming apparent that he's losing those lawsuits to him, so much so that when New York signed a new law allowing state taxes to be given to the House Ways and Means Committee, he filed suit to block that preemptively, even before the committee asked for them, which they still haven't done. But I think that uh, Richard Neal is getting a lot of pressure to do so. When Democrats took over the House, Trump hired a team of 17 lawyers that specialize in executive privilege and tax law to assist him in preventing his finances from going public. He spent millions and millions of dollars to prevent us from knowing about his financial dealings. And this week, he got his pals at the Department of Justice, which is supposed to be responsible for executing the law in the United States, to file an amicus brief on his behalf in Trump's appeal trying to block Congress from getting the Mazar's financial records. It basically says the Congress is not providing a specific enough reason to get the documents. And despite his best efforts, the law is firmly on the side of Congress in its oversight role, as the judges in these cases have so clearly articulated in their findings, in their rulings. 
Uh, he has not yet filed suit to block the banks from handing over their documents uh, related to the Trump organization and Trump family loans and deals uh, like the Deutsche Bank and Capital One case, for example. Uh, and those institutions have started handing over their records on Trump and the Trump organization and the Trump family to Congress and the New York State Attorney General, Tish James. He, uh, they're responding to an April subpoena. He doesn't seem as concerned about his bank records uh, as, as he is about his taxes, right? But either way, uh, I suspect we will have his taxes and his financial records before election season is in full swing, which might be why he has not put Pence's name on any campaign gear or why he seems to possibly be grooming Ivanka to take his place. I'm not sure he imagines he'll win at all in 2020, and his efforts are now to set himself up for whatever comes next. So put some beans on that. Yeah, I wonder how to work out for him because the first time he didn't want to win either. So <laughs> he's like, I really don't want to win this time, guys. Yeah, yeah, he's like, like, definitely not this time. For real, my taxes are going to come out. I'm going to lose anyway. <laughs> Everyone's going to know what piece of shit I am. Yeah, uh, unless that statute of limitation things is on, is on his mind. Like he, I guess, has, if he has a second term, he's mm-hmm. good. But if he doesn't, then yeah, he, he can like run from the law more than yeah. He gets elected. So he might be really torn. But we <laughs> might have a tolling case on our hands. Oh, that's right. Right, because tolling, and we talked about uh, talked to Renato Mariotti about. About this, although he thinks it's probably a slim chance, it's actually never been litigated. Mm-hmm. Meaning, there's we've never had a president try to win a second term to prevent to stop the <laughs> clock to you know on the or to continue the clock ticking on the statute of limitations so that yeah. by the time he gets out, because statute of limitations on federal crimes is five years in most mm-hmm. cases, and uh, you know if he stops criming and he's you know on January twentieth, twenty twenty. By January 20th, 2025, the statute of limitations will expire yes. on most federal crimes. So, But there is a thing called tolling, where if you are incapable of being charged for some reason, then that clock on the statute of limitations stops, and it's called tolling the clock on the statute of limitations. And it would seem like being president would be reason to toll a statute of limitation because you can't be indicted as a sitting president. Yep. But the problem is, is that's not a statute that yeah. says that you can't be indicted as a sitting president. It's, it's an memo. Office of Legal Counsel memo from the Department of Justice. Yeah, so don't listen to it anyways then. <laughs> right, and that's why I'm Tis James, Tis James. Uh, but yeah, that's the whole that's the whole thing, right, is is that it, it would need to be a statute, I think, that prevented you from being charged uh, or indicted. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's a memo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like how, it's how a TPS can you use a memo report. to not charge them, but you can't use the memo to you know right charge them later. Like, that's yep. crazy. Yeah. I'm sure that's what that's an argument that will come up in court if it gets litigated. Mm-hmm. That would be the fight I would use. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, look, if if it prevented me from charging the president with ten counts of obstruction mm-hmm. of justice, then it is good enough to toll uh, indictment charges um, for the yeah. purpose of uh, stopping the statute of limitations clock. That would be my argument. It would likely go to the Supreme Court. It's never been litigated if they even try to do that in the first place. And right. in order for that to even become a question, Trump would need to get reelected. But we're not going to let that happen, right? No. <laughs> so many firsts in this administration. Uh, <laughs> kind of unprecedented well, presidential stuff. None of them good. No. Uh, <laughs> not like a first black president kind of. <laughs> no. That, that was, yeah, different, different. <laughs> Uh, Next lawsuit, Nadler and the House Judiciary Committee has filed suit to compel Don McGahn's testimony, probably the single most important witness in the Mueller case against Trump for obstruction of justice. In this lawsuit, as within the suit they filed a couple weeks ago to get the grand jury materials for for the Mueller probe, Nadler, with the go-ahead from Nancy Pelosi, has fully invoked Article 1 impeachment powers, saying the committee needs the testimony and grand jury material as part of their investigation into whether or not they will draft articles of impeachment against the President of the United States. This is a clear signal that impeachment inquiries have begun. 
Uh, but it's it's different than we're used to, right? Not us personally, but as a country. In the past, while the Constitution does not say what is necessary to open an impeachment inquiry, there's no rules about it, they have had, uh, the, the norm is they would have a full House vote to pass a resolution to begin impeachment. They have not done so at this time, uh, as they did with Nixon and Clinton. But remember, a couple months ago, the House passed a resolution foregoing a full House vote to file suit without having to take the full House vote. <laughs> that's right. Leaving the decision to the committee. And that's what they said they've done. That's what Nadler has said he's done. He said, it's up to me. It's up to my committee. We are investigating for impeachment. Uh, that's what Swalwell has said. And if they're going to impeach Trump, that vote would likely come by the end of the year. So put some beans on it. Wow. Exciting stuff. Christmas present, maybe? Yeah. I say, resolution? I say it's okay now to pop your bottle of champagne and go ahead and say we're impeaching the president. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even though we haven't filed articles, uh, the impeachment investigation is open. But that's just going to be in the House, right? And then as far as like that actually doing anything, it most likely won't, besides put pressure on people to vote. Is that what we should expect by the... Because you can't remove him, right, without the Senate. Not in so, the House. So no. we're definitely most likely going to impeach him, but... Well, we don't know if we're going to dro drop articles. We're oh, definitely, that's different. We're definitely okay. doing an impeachment investigation right now. Got it, got it. By the end of the year, they'll have a vote to decide if they're going to drop articles of impeachment, okay. which is an indictment. Okay, I see. Okay? Mm -hmm. It makes the House a grand jury. It, it makes the impeachment articles an indictment. Mm -hmm. Then it goes to trial, which is the Senate. Right. Okay? So they've taken the judiciary responsibility of a regular indictment, charge, trial, conviction, and, and uh, sentence out of the judicial branch, put it into the congressional branch mm -hmm. because congressional, uh, the congressional branch has the exclusive Article One powers uh, of impeaching a president. So you, you got the House as a grand jury. They draw up articles, which are indictments. Uh, then they send it over to the Senate where the trial is held and they decide whether or not they're going to convict him and remove him. Okay, so let's say we, we impeach or we vote for the articles by the end of the year. Then going into 2020, people can vote for the Senate to be, I guess, more blue. So that when, uh, will the timelines like link up at all? No. Okay. You need 67 votes. Got it. In the Senate. That's yeah. why we had the, the Romney 20. Yeah. So we really, what can we do with a, with a more blue Senate that's not, you know, at 60 yet? Like, you can confirm judges at okay, 51. It, you can confirm Supreme Court judges. Damn, it's not a lot of wiggle room. So all we can do is just send a message that we want him removed. Yeah, you can impeach actually. him. You could draw up charges on the president. And basically right. the idea, for me at least, is you draw up the charges, you indict him, you have mountains of evidence, you send it to the Senate. If the Senate refuses to even hear the trial or refuses to convict and remove, mm -hmm. then you run against them in 2020 on that. Right, which, okay, that will line up. And then if it works, we'll have another blue wave that hopefully will affect the Senate. And then we still won't have 67 votes. We but, won't. But, but by then a new president. Yeah, we should have a new president. If we don't have a new president, are we kind of back to square one? Is it yeah. Then okay. we have to start talking about the tolling. Okay. And, and if we're going to, you know, charge him when he gets out of office and, and lots uh, to consider and all that good stuff. Yeah. So definitely vote blue no matter who. Obviously, we preach all the time. But just in case that it's not enough. We should be thinking about the tolling, at least. Well, the, the main thing we should be thinking about is if he does win, mm -hmm. we need to flip the Senate 51 because if, if he is president and a Supreme Court justice dies or retires, he will get to appoint that mm -hmm. Supreme Court justice and we will need 51 votes in the Senate to block it. And right now we're at nine justices, right? And how many conservatives? I know he had two appointments. I so think it's far. five to four. So, ooh, and that's five, like, liberal versus... 
conservative or there's four and four and, and one guy in the middle who okay. who can be shamed but this will definitely <laughs> but, uh, like if he gets another just one more then it's a, a full five four court and it. he'll win every supreme court decision he oh wants Oh my god including overturning roe v wade including anything against guns including upholding citizens united uh and probably even more things that we don't want to think about like wrecking labor laws that, yeah um, anything and so that is that is the number one reason Oh, do you think he'll stay? Senate. Do you think he'll try to stay for more than two terms <laughs> if he gets another? No, Supreme? I don't think so. You don't think so? Some no. people are afraid. They're just you like, don't he... be because you have the FBI, you have the Secret Service, you have the Department of Justice. They'll you take have, him out if yeah, you have to. okay, good. and you have guns. Yeah, well, just a lot kidding. of Trump supporters. <laughs> so many. Tr- Here's the thing: I'm very afraid of what'll happen if things go our way and his base doesn't let up. Like they will probably only get more riled up. That right? that's probably going to happen. Regardless. Even if we vote him out. Right, yeah. So I guess that's something I i don't think enough about. Because when Obama got elected, we were like, yay, that's great. But we, we didn't realize the Tea Party, or I didn't realize the Tea Party was like getting even more angry and like really um, organized. Mm-hmm. So if we think that things are popping off now with white supremacists and all that, I just don't want to not consider the, I guess, uh, ripple effect. Right? Yeah, and, yeah, and that's something we've been saying for a long time. You can get rid of Trump, but you can't get rid of his supporters. So yeah, yeah. You so? Keep that in mind. But that's no reason not to do something. That's so true. Yeah. Uh, it's just going to be an interesting time. Uh, and guys, finally this week, <clears throat> we have a pair of lawsuits from Peter Strzok and Andrew McBabe. And the discovery in these cases are what's going to be explosive. Uh, they're both suing for wrongful termination, saying based on what's in the Mueller report and Trump's public statements, they were fired for nothing other than the fact that they would not commit loyalty to this one man. Uh, <laughs> and they had worked on the investigation of the president. Strzok says that the Department of Justice has no right to release his had no right to release his text messages to the public, violating the Privacy Act. Uh, and rather, they should have handed that information over to Congress if they thought it was something that should have been investigated. He then says the Department of Justice deprived him of due process to challenge his own firing. One of the things the suit seeks to determine is who at the Department of Justice authorized the release of the text messages, the struck page text messages, thereby violating his First Amendment rights. McCabe, on the other hand, is contesting he was not lawfully fired. Uh, at all. And he's asking to be reinstated so he can receive his full pension. If you remember, he was fired the night before he would have been eligible for a full retirement, apparently. That's what Trump wants you to think. But he wasn't. According to the lawsuit, he was fired at 10 p.m. on Friday, March 16th. However, his tour of duty ended at 5 p.m. that day, as did his time in the FBI. And according to the FBI, he was already fully vested by the time Sessions tweeted out that he was fired. Secondly, even if that wasn't the case, the FBI rules say that while the attorney general or president can fire certain officers in the FBI, like the deputy director or the acting director, only the FBI director can fire everyone else. And since um, before he was fired, McCabe was removed as deputy director of the FBI. Only Chris Ray could have fired him. Therefore, his firing was improper and he's due his full pension. Both Strzok and McCabe have very, very strong cases, and I'd put beans on the DOJ settling with them before discovery because I don't think they want this shit to come out to the public, which is a bummer because I really like to know who at the DOJ released the Strzok and Page texts. But maybe that case will go to discovery and McCabe's will settle. I don't know. But keep an eye out for other suits to follow, guys. Maybe Lisa Page will file suit. And the Comey Five, Rubicki, Bowditch, Bente, Yates, Gaddis, James Baker. These guys might file lawsuits for wrongful termination and demotion as well under the same reasons. As they should. Yeah, I agree too. Guys, we'll be right back. Hey guys, AG here to tell you about my new favorite shoes, Rothy's. Rothy's are everyday flats that look good, they feel good, they're sustainable, they pack well, they transition perfectly from work to happy hour to a night out, they're amazing. Rothy's come in all kinds of colors and patterns and they're available in four different styles, including the point, the flat, the loafer, and the sneaker. 
and I can literally wear them with anything, whether it's my yoga pants or skirts, dresses, jeans, suits, whatever. It's all good to go. And when we do live shows, I'm on my feet for hours, and Rothy's are the only shoes I trust to get me through it. Heels always cause my like knees to hurt really bad, so these make me feel like I've been wearing my slippies the whole time, so I love them. They launch new colors every week, and they sell out constantly. I've had one of each. I Personally, I bought one of each of the styles in black, and I wear them everywhere. They pack well, they're breathable, they're machine washable, and they go with everything. So as you guys know, sustainability is important to us at Muller, she wrote, and I'm happy to say Rothy's are made in a zero-waste factory. They ship directly in the shoebox, so there's no packaging waste, and they're made from recycled plastic water bottles, and to date, they've diverted over 25 million bottles from landfills and oceans. Uh, Jordan. You wear yours at work. I do, yeah. They're so comfortable. I have to stand up for like six or seven hours, and they never get uncomfortable. They're great. And yeah. they breathe really well, which I really appreciate. I have the flats. Or not the flats, the sneakers. Yeah. I really like them. Yeah, no stinky feet. Yep. And super machine washable. Because mm-hmm. when I, I remember when I was a server, I would just dump stuff all over my shoes all the time. Jaleesa, you constantly get compliments everywhere we go on your leopard print loafers. Oh, yeah. They're really cute, and they go with everything I wear. Yeah, they're like almost a focal point of your, of your that and your hat. But the, but, these, but everyone loves your shoes, I've noticed. Definitely. So you guys have to try these out. They have an amazing deal for our listeners. Use code AG at checkout to get free shipping with no minimum. That's free shipping and free returns and exchanges on your Rothy's shoes. But trust me, you won't want to return them. Go to rothys.com. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com. And enter AG to get your new favorite flats with free shipping. You'll be glad you did. All right. Welcome back, guys. Are you ready for sabotage? Yes. <laughs> All right, so the Wall Street Journal reminded us this week that New York attorney Tish James and the congressional committees have already started receiving Trump's financial and loan documents and information from subpoenas that they filed in April. Um, And the likes of J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Citigroup, Deutsche Bank, Morgan Stanley, and Wells Fargo are all handing over documents right now. And this goes right to the heart of the Trump organization. So keep those names in mind when we draft our Fantasy Indictment League teams this week. Remembering to note that state crimes are not pardonable. This is Tish James, New York State Attorney General. Uh, Weisselberg's immunity does not apply uh, to New York State unless she offers him a separate immunity. And the Department of Justice OLC opinion that says you can't indict a sitting president does not apply to state attorneys general either. Mm. So ooh, here we go, Tish James, Tish <laughs> James. All right, guys, let's play the Fantasy Indictment League. I'm going to be indicted. No, wait, it's going to be a... Indicted! Honey, dick. Indicted! Honey. I'm going to be indicted! Hold it, they can't. It's going to be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm going to be indicted. All right, so this week, Jordan, you get to go first. I am second. Jaleesa, you are third. So, Jordan. Okay. Ghislaine Maxwell. Oh, shit. Nice. Nice, nice. Ghislaine. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am going to go with the Trump org. Good. Uh, I'll pick Brittany Kaiser, of course. Brittany Kaiser. Uh, Dershowitz. Alan. (laughs) Yep. Dick. He's so um, gross. Yeah, I know. I'm gonna go with Calamari. Okay. One of the Trump org executives. Yeah, yeah. Squid poop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will do the superseding Greg Craig. Oh, nice. Nice. Good call. Um, I would do Tom Barrick. Your dude, your dude forever. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm gonna go with Weiselberg. 
Weaselberg. Yeah. <laughs> By Tish James Weaselberg. Chalisa? Oh, yes, it's me. Um, I'll pick someone named Igor. Igor. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a rando kind of. Rando guy. Russian. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with someone, anyone named Igor. <laughs> <laughs> Which means, if, you're, if you haven't heard, if you, if you say Igor and it's, it's a rando Russian, you get a point. But if his name is Igor, you get an additional point. Yes. Um, I'm going to go with George Nader. Nice. I skipped you, Jordan. Yeah. Yes, that's okay. I wasn't going to pick Nader. Good, good. Okay. Um, <laughs> cool. Trump inaugural. Okay. Um, I'll take Alexander Nix. Nix. Mm-hmm. All right. And we all get one more. Jordan. All right. Uh, let's do... Pecker. Pecker. <laughs> You've selected Pecker. Uh, along those same lines, I'll do Dylan Howard. Okay, and no one's picked AMI yet, right? Nope. I will take it. All it yours. Make sense. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, that's how we play the Fantasy Indictment League. Yes. Uh, all right, earlier, guys, I sat down with counterterrorism expert, former advisor to the Obama administration, Sam Vinograd. Let's check out that interview. Joining us today for the interview is CNN National Security Analyst and former senior advisor to the National Security Advisor in the Obama administration. Please welcome for the first time on Mueller, she wrote, Sam Vinograd. Sam, welcome to Mueller, she wrote. Thanks. So great to be here. Quite a week, huh? It uh, has been a pretty incredible week. And just, you know, getting up today with all the uh, Epstein news and the release of his documents yesterday. And now we've got the North Korean missile stuff. Like there's just it never ends. (laughs) I know. There's no pause button, unfortunately. No, it is a fire hose of news, uh, as we like to call it. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit because you're a counterintelligence, counterterrorism expert. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the more recent shakeups in the leadership at the Department of Homeland Security a couple weeks ago. And I know they replaced their chief of um, Customs and and Border Protection. And, and of course, we had uh, Kirsten Nielsen leave and then we had the McAleen and stuff. So can you talk a little bit about what this kind of lack of leadership or governance at the Department of Homeland Security could mean? Most definitely. I, I kind of come at this from a position of why are these people leaving and then what the impact is of this kind of power vacuum at such a critical um, department and DHS isn't the only one. First, let's think about why these people are leaving. You look at Nielsen, you look at the CBP commissioner and potentially others. And you look at someone like Nielsen, who ostensibly resigned under pressure from President Trump because she either could not or would not implement his highly politicized agenda. Nielsen was the public face of a lot of highly disturbing and potentially illegal policies that the president was trying to implement. You look at something like the zero tolerance policy, um, kids in cages, the border wall, and Nielsen was seemingly willing to do a lot of the president's bidding when it came to those kinds of policies but wasn't successful um, from the president's perspective, at least, in implementing others. And she resigned under pressure. This recent resignation of the CBP commissioner is being reported, um, you know, really after more highly horrific immigration policies were announced by the president. And uh, obviously, we've just seen um, an ICE raid occur in Mississippi with pictures of children separated from their parents with nowhere to go. And you have this kind of cascading um, cascading um, array of highly disturbing policies and images, while at the same time, you know, we are still trying to make sense of the El Paso shooting, 
which was implemented um, uh, reportedly by a domestic white nationalist terrorist. And we're hearing reporting, it was a CNN exclusive, that DHS was rebuffed by the White House when they asked to reprioritize white supremacy as a threat. So you kind of have the situation where you have officials that may really be questioning whether they are complicit in um, actions that are unconscion unconscionable, not to mention um, unconstitutional, and don't protect Americans, don't allow them to fulfill their responsibilities, while the president seems to be picking people for jobs that don't have experience. Experience should be a resume pattern for these high-level positions. But picking people that, that are inexperienced but perhaps willing to do his bidding, which is inimical with the roles and responsibilities of these departments and agencies. So that's why we're seeing this array of resignations um, and why you know we really have, you look at something like DHS, they have no confirmed deputy secretary, an acting chief of staff, acting undersecretary for management, acting CFO. I mean, I could keep going, but you have a power vacuum of, of approved officials, which by the way, is required under the Constitution. President Trump is trying to circumvent the law, even though he calls himself the law and order president. And that really signals globally that all these people are just placeholders. Um, we know that President Trump is you know, really comfortable getting rid of people and, and that he doesn't empower his fully confirmed uh, cabinet secretaries and officials. When you have all these acting officials in place, they're kind of here today, gone tomorrow. It's much easier to get rid of them. And it's probably signaling globally uh, that, you know, spending time with these guys just isn't really worth it. Just go straight to President Trump or Ivanka or Jared, because those are the real power centers. And so it really brings us to a situation from a national security perspective where people that are willing to speak their mind are resigning, being fired, or in the case of the intelligence community, being investigated by Attorney General Barr when it comes to Russia. And you just have to wonder, like, who's minding the ship here? Who's making the decisions? What is that based on? And are we actually uh, suffering from brain drain that is hindering the policymaking process? I, I would argue yes. And um, I know we we're going to talk about the intelligence community, but this massive brain drain and, and placeholder um, positions uh, in the administration are leaving us a lot more exposed. Yeah, definitely. And it, it kind of reminds me of the way that the Kremlin operates with all of their, you know, temporary sort of deputy prime ministers that don't really serve full terms and are kind of movable whenever, you know, whenever Putin wants to kind of get rid of them. So I, I, I just thought that that was like kind of a stunning coincidence with all of our acting um you know, chiefs and, and secretaries, and, and you're right, you know, about the brain drain for sure. And and speaking of um, white national terrorism, uh, Raw Story reported Friday that the Department of Justice actually blocked reports showing that white supremacists were responsible for all race-based domestic terrorism incidents in 2018. Do you think that might have also had something to do with, like, uh, McAleenan's issues, uh, considering Trump has substantially reduced or even eliminated funding and programs that combat white supremacist extremism? Well, I I have a hard, I have not seen the BuzzFeed reporting. I think that um, FBI Director Ray has been very public about what he called the um, pervasive threat posed by white supremacy. He testified that, um, and DOJ actually later clarified this on the record, but that white supremacy uh, accounts for the majority of race-based uh, domestic terrorism. So I think that FBI and the DOJ have been very public about the threat that white supremacy poses domestically. 
Um, and internationally, the, o the Director of National Intelligence put in the Worldwide Threat Assessment, which is a coordinated assessment of all 17 component parts of the intelligence community, um, that uh, ultranationalism and ethno-supremacy pose an increasing threat to the United States. So the intel and law, law enforcement community could not be clearer about the threat posed by white supremacy. The issue is policymakers have to take that intelligence and do something with it, right? So if the threat is surging, the logical response to a terrorist threat would be to devote more resources to it. What we've seen is the White House do the opposite. You know, it's interesting. I joined the U.S. government after 9-11 because I wanted to fight terrorists and engage in um, counterterrorism work. We had an intelligence failure that led to 9-11. We didn't know about the threat. We have a situation now where publicly even intelligence professionals are screaming from the rooftops about the threat posed by white supremacy. And the White House is rebuffing them. Instead of putting more resources in the FBI, in DHS, and in the intel law enforcement community, there's reporting that the administration is doing exactly the opposite. And so you just have to ask yourself why <laughs> from a policy perspective. And the answer is either President Trump uh, doesn't believe that the threat is real, which is ridiculous in light of El Paso and all of the other white supremacist attacks that we've had, or he in some way agrees with their ideology or doesn't want to stop it for any other number of reasons. So I don't doubt that the FBI, um, DOJ, and DHS, and again, that the DNI more broadly with respect to the threat posed internationally, um, will continue to flag the threat. The issue is that they're meeting a dead end when it comes to getting resources to address it. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned uh, briefly there, and I kind of want to touch on this, uh, the 17 intelligence agencies and, and post 9-11 um, coordination and communication between these agencies. Can you just really quick, um, we recently lost the director of national intelligence, Dan Coates, and the deputy director, Dan, um, Sue Gordon. Yeah. Can you explain what the office of the DNI was for and, and how this could additionally leave us vulnerable? Definitely. You know, it's really interesting because I worked with the DNI, they were literally kind of like the first thing I interacted with every morning uh, when I was the senior advisor to the National Security Advisor because they were responsible for um, compiling and delivering the presidential daily briefing. Um, their job is to lead intelligence integra integration and ensure that the intelligence commu community, those 17 component parts, are coordinated. That has to do with budgets, that has to do with resource allocation that has to do with intelligence analysis, as well as priorities. So as you look across um, the 17 component parts, and people are more familiar with the CIA and NSA, um, but then you have uh, in institutions like the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, which is where Sue Gordon, um, the recently departed number two at the DNI, spent a, a, a large part of her career. The, the DNI was born out of 9-11 and the Terrorism Prevention Act because there was a sense that there were seeds of intelligence collection and reporting that should have raised red flags with respect to the 9-11 attack, what Al-Qaeda was planning, how they were operating, and that because there was not this one entity looking out across the intelligence community, that was missed. And the objective was to ensure that that never happened again. And so the intelligence community, in terms of intelligence collection, and I'll come back to analysis in a second, 
has different capabilities. So you have the NSA, which focuses on signals intelligence. You have the CIA, which focuses on human intelligence. You have the Defense Intelligence Agency, which does a lot of work um, looking at different uh, military intelligence around the world and supporting the Department of, of Defense. You have um, uh, uh, other component parts that look at um, geospatial intelligence, like I mentioned, the National Geospatial Agency. You have the National Counterterrorism Center, which is focused specifically on terrorist threats. And so all of these things come together in the office of the Director of National Intelligence. So someone like Sue Gordon, who is the number two, in her uh, current role, which is uh, ending as of next week, she would have been responsible for kind of all of the above, right? Like she would have been looking out across the intelligence community, all these 17 component parts, what they were doing, whether they were focused on the right things, whether she needed to, the intelligence community needed to ask for more resources to focus on a specific issue. What is there a gap in North Korea uh, collection? Do we really know what's happening um, in Syria right now with Bashar al-Assad? Do we have enough resources, um, uh, signals intelligence on, you know, name your, your despotic leader that we need to collect more on? She kind of saw it all, so to speak, which is why she would have made, not to mention her decades of experience, an ideal acting director of national intelligence. The learning curve for her, if she had assumed that role, would have been a lot less steep. And that's kind of the thinking behind the um, the, the law with respect to the succession at uh, these agencies, um, the Vacancies Reform Act, she should have been named acting director. Um, and again, not to mention her decades of, of experience. Instead, the guy uh, that was named, and he was able to be named because she was forced out, director of the National Counterterrorism Center, Center, very experienced guy, but he's going to have a much steeper learning curve coming into this this acting role than Sue Gordon would have had. Yeah, I I, I was wondering about that myself uh, as well because while he while this new guy is you know counterterrorism guy, he just he doesn't have the depth of experience I think that Sue Gordon did in in counterintelligence as well. But it it, it is definitely a higher learning curve. It just seems odd across the agencies that you know we're seeing sort of this just removal of, of everyone with any experience. <laughs> and so it's kind of, it's kind of scary. I'm going to call it gutting. <laughs> yeah, gutting. I, and also just to go back to the Department of Homeland Security for a minute, they're not just responsible for immigration and border policy, but election and cybersecurity, which is something, you know, I feel like Trump doesn't want to uh, focus on too much because I think it assisted him in the last election. That's all speculation, but not really based on the Mueller report. But we recently learned and the sorry, and the intelligence community assessment, which uh, show, you know, indicated with high confidence and I think moderate confidence at the NSA that that it was indeed to to hurt Hillary and help Trump. But we learned that the acting DHS secretary McAleenan had contemplated resigning over the conflicts with the Trump administration. And does this leave us more vulnerable to election interference, which we know is continuing per Mueller's testimony, the intelligence community um, assessment, the Senate intelligence community's assessment, and like even Christopher Ray's testimony? Well, we're more vulnerable for several reasons, starting with the fact that the president uh, has said publicly, God knows what he said privately to Vladimir Putin, that he would accept um, foreign uh, support during the election cycle. Um, and not to mention the fact that President Trump kind of conducts what we would have assumed would have been Russian information warfare from his Twitter feed. I mean, at this point, 
Russian information warriors who are focused on election uh, interference kind of just have to retweet POTUS, right? Like he's a huge cost saving for Putin in that respect. So that's kind of number one. Um, number two, on the election security front, I'm going to come back to kind of the role of intelligence as an input to policymaking. From an executive branch perspective, the director of national intelligence, the director of the FBI, and others have been on record saying that the threat has actually become more complex since 2016. Um, the Mueller report, as you just mentioned, and the um, national intelligence assessment by the DNI in 20, uh, January 2017 indicated that Russia attacked us in the last election. We now have reporting, open source reporting, and statements from the administration that it's not just Russia. Russia, Iran, and China have been named as uh, attacking us in these elections. And so at this point, our adversaries have had years to up their game in terms of election interference, whether that relates to our voting infrastructure or the information space. And President Trump refuses to take the threat seriously. So what resources has he allocated to just keep up with the threat is kind of question number one. And then two, he's made the threat more complex by saying he'd take foreign dirt, which adds to the counterintelligence burden, by the way of the FBI rather than mitigating it. And then we have Congress. I mean, you have to just take a step back and ask why Mitch McConnell and the Republicans are blocking election security legislation. And I don't say that from a political perspective. I say that from a policy perspective. It is clear that Mitch McConnell has a big issue with kind of federal versus state authorities when it comes to election security. But at this point, he's kind of knowingly letting states remain vulnerable uh, and voting infrastructure remain vulnerable because fill in the blank. States still have paper ballot systems. Um, we don't have enough integration between state and federal authorities just with respect to intelligence sharing. So we're going into this 2020 election cycle highly vulnerable while the president is adding to those vulnerabilities every second. Um, and, you know, I think that we have officials in high-level positions that are publicly talking about the threats, even if President Trump doesn't want to read the classified briefings, he just has to turn on the television, which he, we know he likes to do, um, to understand the election security threat. So he may want to wear earmuffs and blindfolds because he thinks that um, Putin will help him get elected again, even if he refuses to admit that Putin did it the last time. Um, and the threat has metastasized and is involving more countries now. Yeah, totally. And then, of course, we have McConnell on one hand saying it is the state's responsibility. It shouldn't be federal for them to protect their elections. But with his other hand, he's blocking additional funding for the states to, you know, shore up their election security. So it's you have to kind of watch what they do and not what they say, you know. Yeah, actually. Yeah. And I just that one, there's there's really no logical explanation for why every policymaker shouldn't want to do more to secure our elections. Unless, in some way, whatever our adversaries are doing helps them. I just, there's no other logical explanation from this. And the intelligence couldn't be clearer. We know what they did in 2016. We know that they've upped their game since then. We also know that Russia infiltrated um, voting systems in 2016 and lurked around and did reconnaissance um, rather than, you know, bringing them all down and having some massive cybersecurity incident. So, you know, the warning signs have been there for years and we haven't done enough to protect against it. The, the writing is unfortunately on the wall 
um, with respect to this threat, just like it is, I hate to say it, but, but with respect to white supremacy, if we don't devote resources to a threat, and at the same time, the president, whether with his rhetoric or his lack of response, um, incites those threats, we're just guaranteeing that they're going to grow stronger. Yeah. And, and, and we know uh, through testimony that Mueller did not investigate whether the vote counts were hacked uh, themselves. And so that's probably part of a different investigation that, that we just don't have access to at this point. So we'll just have to see. But Sam, thank you for joining us today. Um, everyone, you can follow her on Twitter at Sam underscore Vinograd or catch her on CNN. Sam, thanks for being on Mueller. She wrote. Thanks so much. All right, guys, that is our show. Thank you so much to Sam Vinograd for coming on. I really appreciate her her expertise and her point of view. She's really just a, a, a great person and definitely super knowledgeable about all that stuff. And it's it was a pleasure to 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 be able to talk to her. So uh, does anyone have any final thoughts? Um, it's my mom's birthday today. Oh, cool. Oh, happy yeah. birthday. Happy birthday, Thanks. Madre. Yeah, happy birthday, Mom. Um, also, yeah, you can adopt a voter. It's totally unrelated to my mom's birthday. But um, for the North Carolina thing, I think it's still you still have time to, like, get involved if you want. It's, apparently, it's a really big election. Like, it's one of the ones that Republicans dropped, like, $4 million on the last minute. And then the person that's running that's a Democrat has to run again next year for 2020. It's, yeah. like, a really special election. So, yeah, if you want to get involved with that, I think it's a swing left thing so you can just go to yeah. their website and yeah it's all laid out you can literally yeah, google north carolina adopt a voter swing left totally, and yeah. see what you come and see what pops up i think it'll take you right there absolutely dude that's so great and thanks for doing that show that's so cool oh for sure so glad i got to do it yeah yeah that's awesome um adopt a voter so is that just like donating basically not exactly it does imply that but what you do is you would uh download like a list of people's like i guess homes that you would send letters to so mm-hmm. they're already registered voters they're just people that maybe are not planning on voting for some reason and you're reaching out to them to let them know why you think they should mm. so yeah one of those like i guess uh metaphorical adoption oh uh, like cool. a pen pal yeah like a voter pen pal thing definitely cool. hey yeah. my name is this and this and this is why it's important to me please vote yeah just a reminder yeah that's very cool this weekend cool. The election yeah be nice mm-hmm. uh guys uh, all right that's our show so um stay tuned for uh tomorrow morning we have the, the daily beans coming out it's going to be um, a whole episode on uh, jeffrey epstein if you want more information on that <clears throat> and then, of course, Thursday, we have, I think, eight more episodes of the Mueller report to get through for um, the Obstruction of Justice Volume 2. So check those out on Thursday and uh, become a patron. Patreon.com slash Mueller, she wrote. Uh, you'll be automatically a patron of both shows, Daily Beans and Mueller, she wrote. You'll get ad free Daily Beans episodes when you do that. And then you get all sorts of neat thank you gifts, our newsletter, which we're revamping this week. Um, and, uh, you know, pre-sale tickets, VIP meet and greet information. It's just a really fun. Most of all, I think the support of the group is just what the coolest part of it is. It's just to have that network of about 7,000 like-minded, awesome individuals. Yes, political soulmates. Yes, and (laughs) truly the coolest people you'll ever meet. I've never met such a huge concentration of awesome people Mm -hmm. in my whole life, even when I go to, like, Cure concerts. It's, (laughs) It's amazing. So thank you guys for that. Uh, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. I've been A.G. I've been Jalisa Johnson. I've been Jordan Coburn. And this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is produced and engineered by A.G. with editing and logo design by Jalisa Johnson. Our marketing consultant and social media manager is Sarah Lee Steiner, and our subscriber and communications director is Jordan Coburn. Fact-checking and research by A.G. and research assistance by Jalisa Johnson and Jordan Coburn. Our merchandising managers are Sarah Lee Steiner and Sarah Hirschberger Valencia. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com.
Hi, I'm Harry Littman, host of Talking Feds, a roundtable that brings together prominent figures from government law and journalism for a dynamic discussion of the most important topics of the day. Each Monday, I'm joined by a slate of Fed's favorites and new voices to break down the headlines and give the insider's view of what's going on in Washington and beyond. Plus, sidebars explaining important legal concepts read by your favorite celebrities. Find Talking Feds wherever you get your podcasts. M-S-W Media.